Hello, 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 and welcome to the Movie People Podcast. My name is David Isles, and this is the number one movie people podcast in the world and your one-stop shop for everything happening in the world of film and entertainment. This week, we'll be discussing some of the biggest movie trends of 2021 and doing our second-ever shooting Star Awards, where we tell you what should have been nominated at this year's Oscars. It's going to be a fun time, and there's really nothing else to it but to do it. Let's get to our movie question of the day. And introducing first, um, Rachel Massett-Gill, a longtime guest of the Movie People podcast and the only other host, and her movie question of the day is, who has had the better film career, Al Pacino or Robert De Niro? Ooh. I feel like this is like a classic matchup. Ooh. I'd probably have to say... Pacino? Only because I think... Him and De Niro were, had very similar careers, I would say, probably through the 80s, like 70s and 80s. Um, however, De Niro started doing a lot of, like, awful movies, especially in the last, like, 10, 20 years. And Al Pacino has definitely done his fair share, too. Like, he did that Jack and Jill movie, which is... I was about to say. I was about to mention yeah, Jack and Jill. Yeah, he did the Dunkachino. Um, however, I think overall his track record has been a little better than De Niro um, and like Pacino has won an Oscar he won one in the 90s for Scent of a Woman and I think De Niro's last Oscar was I could be completely wrong but I thought his last Oscar was for Godfather Part 2 in the 70s maybe um, so I think Pacino has had a good career for a little bit longer but De Niro also had The Irishman last year or two years ago and then Pacino had Gucci this year. Well, Pacino had the Irishman too. Um, oh, you're right. Yeah. Okay. I think my I think my answer is Pacino then. <laughs> I, I been... definitely think. Well, yeah, I think Pacino's the better actor in my opinion, but um, I don't he know. Definitely, I, I think he's definitely had, especially early Pacino. He definitely had more range than yeah. De Niro. I think he did more types of films, like Dog Day Pacino versus like. Scent of a Woman Pacino are two very different performances. So, and I don't know if De Niro always had that range. But they're both like iconic legends. But yeah, yeah I would definitely both, say right. Pacino. I would think, I think Pacino is the better actor, but I think Robert De Niro, if you just look at the movies, would probably have more iconic movies. Like, because Pacino has God, both Godfathers, right? But then, yeah. um, and then like Scarface and like, I don't know, what's like another... Um, I mean, Dog like, Day Afternoon, yeah, Panic the, in Neal Park. Um, like, I don't think those would compare to like a um, like a Taxi Driver, like Raging Bull. Is Raging Bull the one that De Niro's in? Um, yes. Oh, he won an Oscar for that. I think that was 1980. Um, yeah. I think the movies would favor De Niro, but I just first I like I think Robert De Niro's good, but um, I think Patino's like yeah, like one of well, I mean they're both legends, but I think Patino's one of the greatest. Mm-hmm. And then, like, De Niro's just, like, right under him. Yeah. But they're both such icons of, like, 70s New Hollywood cinema, you know, that I always think of them together, you know? It's like Pacino and De Niro, especially because they but, were both in the Godfather series, you know? Yeah, yeah, and they're definitely that, like, yeah, that older age. Yeah, like, when you think of, like, the older, dramatic, like, Oscar-type actors, you kind of, like, put them together. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, I mean... I don't know, it's weird, though, because you wouldn't take, like, 
Like a Tom Hanks belongs like in that conversation, obviously, but you, I wouldn't link the, him with them. Um, no, well, I, would say I feel like they're more prestige, maybe, and he's more like every man. Well, also, Tom Hanks didn't come up until the 80s, whereas Pacino and De Niro were kind of got their start in the late 60s and early 70s, which was truly like the change of the new Hollywood as we think of it. Like, I always think about like, I think they call them like the Rat Pack or like the Hollywood Brats, but like, you know, De Palma, Scorsese, Lucas, Coppola, right? It's like those like icons and titans of like 70s Hollywood cinema. And yeah. a lot of those movies had Pacino and De Niro. Where's Tom Hanks? The 80s were, the 80s Hollywood was completely different than like 70s Hollywood, you know? Very different That's flavor. Right. And yeah, and Pacino and De Niro came up through Scorsese and Coppola. Um, and and yeah, Tom Hanks. Yeah, and Hanks Tom, uh, dominated the 90s more. Like, I looked at his yes. track record during the 90s. That's when he was, like, really in his run. And I think... And he won, like, Nero Best Actor back-to-back. <laughs> yeah. And then, like, also, like, yeah, did, like, Toy Story in that era. But then mm-hmm. also, like, Philadelphia and, like, Green Mile. Like, like literally, his whole career... That 10-year gap, I think, is, like, the, like, best run of movies I think I've ever seen for an actor. Um, yeah. Like, him in the 90s was just insane and then in 2000 he did castaway so he's just like yeah. for a decade straight um, mm-hmm. except i believe joe versus the volcano was somewhere in that time <laughs> frame but like that yeah. was the only miss yeah because those other two meg ryan you know rom-coms top tier god tier oh well yeah yeah, yeah. that one's yeah. the well which one is he in with meg ryan oh you've got mail. He's in, like, in seattle and you've got mail Ooh, baby uh, i love those movies the only one i've watched with her is um um what's it called the one with the, the other comedian, um, Harry oh, Mattel. Oh, it's yeah. such a good one, too. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed that one. Like, yeah, Meg Ryan is just not, like, I also don't watch old movies, but, like, she's just never been in my, like, consciousness. I've only seen her in, when Harry Met Sally's because, like, it's one of my friend's favorite rom-com mm-hmm. um, ever. Um, anyway, if uh, you, the listener, wants to uh, submit any questions or give us your thoughts or concerns or whatever you want to tell us, there you can, and there's two ways to do it. First, if you check the show notes of this episode, there will be a link to send in a voice message. You will have to create an Anchor account to do that, but all voice messages are guaranteed to be featured on the next episode within reason. Don't say anything stupid. Um, however, <laughs> um, if you're listening to Spotify, you can simply scroll down, uh, click on the episode, and then go to our Q&A section, and then you could submit your question there without doing anything else, and we'll try to get to those next week as well. But um, now that that's out of the way, let's get to the news. And so for our first news topic, now usually during this segment, it would be the one to three news stories that... um, uh, that happened in the past week. However, to take you behind the scenes, we are pre-recording this a week early because I'm going to be out next weekend. So what we're going to do for this episode instead is we're going to be talking about the top news stories of 2021 and really um, focusing on the switch to streaming. So this kind of started, of course, with the pandemic, movies like Ryan the Last Dragon and um, some other like uh, bigger movies that you would have seen in theaters went home. Um, and then, of course, Tenet stayed in theaters. But... Um, it really started when it got to the end of 2020 when Wonder Woman and Soul both uh, went to streaming and then HB, or Warner Brothers decided all, uh, all of their movies for that year were going to be going to HBO Max. And um, Wonder Woman and Soul were, yeah, two huge movies that definitely would have made money at the movie theater 
those went home for the first time. And then they started that theater um, home rollout. So I guess for you, Rachel, like, I know it's kind of a little bit different because of your job, but like when you were like watching movies in 2021, like, and they were available in theaters and at home, like what kind of like, yeah, which like way did you lean? Like, were you like more loyal to the theater experience or like, have you kind of adapted to this new streaming model? That's really tough. I think it would definitely depend. My answer would be different depending on like even down to what month we were talking about. Honestly, I was so COVID conscious um, all of last year, really up until like only recently have I really been fully secure. Um, So yeah, I really was avoiding theaters. I was, nothing was really going to draw me back into the theater and obviously I work at Cinemark for anyone who doesn't know so we do get trade screenings so that was honestly my sort of foray back into seeing movies at the theater I was going to see trade going to see trade screenings and things like that um, and now obviously I think with we were talking about this off mic but talking about Shang-Chi and Spider-Man those have really been the the first to me at least indicators of things kind of getting back to normal because um, Shang-Chi was the highest like COVID box office or post-COVID box office that we had had until Spider-Man, which broke pre-pandemic records. Um, mm-hmm. So I think it's definitely different now. Some areas have still not quite recovered, especially like dramas, like adult dramas really have not quite picked back up, which is a to me at least, a huge bummer because those are all oftentimes the types of movies that need saving and they need to be seen. Um, so I'm hoping that those audiences for those films start picking back up. Um, but we'll, that's kind of a, we'll have to wait and see. But the big films, the tent poles, I think those are definitely back on track, uh, which is promising. But yeah, but I, at that time, no, I was not going to theater. I was I was staying indoors as much as possible. Um, well, yeah. like mine's like a bit different because, well, luckily, which I don't know if you ever ended up seeing Tenet, but Tenet was the movie that made me oh, feel right. like better about it because like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I'm like still the biggest Christopher Nolan fan. So I knew I was like, okay, I have to watch Tenet. Um, it's like, I'm not right. just going to not watch Tenet and it's only going to be in theaters. And it's like, I don't want to really watch it at home anyway. So I just went to go see it. I saw it on like the first night in the seven and like, yeah, at least back then, because that was, yeah, late 2020. So it was like much more. Pre-vaccine and, and everything. Yeah. Um, which is actually crazy that he released that movie pre-vaccine. Um, so but, that's such an interesting case study. Like he, they really tried it. I, well, I admire it, but boof. It's really tough because like I yeah. feel for him a little bit because I oh, like completely. what because yeah because in his mind he was like I need to do this to save the cinematic experience mm-hmm. um, and then everyone of course you know just like yeah goes on him for just being like yeah like reckless or like some people have said money hungry which I mean releasing Tenet at that time was actually the worst thing he could have did from a money perspective because right. um, he had 20 percent like I think points on that um on that movie so he gets 20 percent of the box office so it's like releasing during that time would was not great for him financially but like i think he just really because christopher nolan i think more than anyone else on earth is like a 
you have to see movies in theater type person. Um, He's very much like a film purist, which I really, really appreciate. Yeah. And like, I'm like similar in some ways, just like, because for me, I can't watch movies at home for just like, for whatever reason, like, (laughs) like I can't keep the attention span. Like I just like, I get bored really easily. And I always, very different. I end up like finding, yeah, I don't enjoy the movies as much. Like, I don't know. I feel like Luca was really good, but like I just like didn't enjoy it as much, and I didn't enjoy Soul as much, and I thought Turning Red was okay, and um, and like I mean Wonder Woman was actually just bad, but like um, <laughs> yeah, but like I feel like I just need to be in the theater, so like I I never stopped going to the theater really. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. I mean between like. I guess the pandemic affected me in terms of like, I wouldn't see a movie that I didn't care about anymore. I used to go to the movie theater just like, cause I was bored. I just feel like, okay, right. it's Friday. Like, let's go see, uh, what's the Amelia Clark, Henry Golding one. I watched that movie out of pure boredom. Oh, the, um, like the Christmas Last one? Christmas, yeah, yeah, last <laughs> Christmas. The one based off the ABBA song. Um, <laughs> like, those are the movies that I would just watch just because, or like the Will Smith, um, uh, uh, cloning movie, whatever that. Oh, movie was. Gemini Man. <laughs> yeah, I watched that movie in uh, in in its intended format, whatever that was, like 3D X or whatever it was called. <laughs> um, but like those types of things during the pandemic, I was just like, okay, I'm just not going to see them anymore. Um, but I never I really adapted honestly... to the streaming model. Like I I don't think I watched a single movie because uh, I have HBO Max, but I don't think I watched a single movie on HBO Max if it was available in theaters. I either watched it in theaters or I just Mm -hmm. didn't watch it. Yeah. Well, I admire your dedication. (laughs) (laughs) But I think that thing about not going to, like, casually see movies anymore, I think that's kind of what's hurting. I I think that's a lot of people's perspectives as well, of just feeling like they have to be drawn to a theater to go see a film versus casually going to the theater and just seeing what's on screen because i think now those kinds of movies you watch on streaming it's like uh i'm kind of bored let's go do let's watch something tonight instead of driving to your local theater i think now yeah you just turn on hbo max or netflix or disney plus and find something there like the casual movie going experience i think might be completely changed again we'll see i think again older demographics still have not quite regained their pre-pandemic movie-going habits, and the jury's still out, and if that'll change. Um, yeah, I mean, who knows? Because I think every musical last year failed, besides Encanto, which is like, I don't know, doesn't really count. Um, yeah. Like Musicals Encanto, I think, is seen more as an animated movie than it is a musical. Right. Um, it's like Disney animation versus a yeah musical musical. Yeah. But in the, did you ever see In the Heights? No, I missed it because I. I was wary of going to the theater, and I'm pissed because that seems like such a perfect theater movie. Like, because yeah, I don't know what it is, and which that was another day and date release, I think. But like, I, um, I think it was. Uh, like, yeah, I went to the theater, and I didn't love that movie. I thought it was fine. Um, mm-hmm. But like, yeah, I was going there expecting to like you know experience that with like some people, and I think I would have enjoyed it more if I was experiencing it with more people. Oh, but sure. it was like yeah. fully, I think. Yeah, Friday at 7 and, like, 10, 20 people in the theater. Um, I know. Same thing for West Side Story. I mean, West Side Story I saw, I think, at, like, 3 o'clock or something. I left work a little bit early that day. 
Um, but like, again, almost empty theater. Um, Dear Evan Hansen, almost mm-hmm. empty theater. Um, even though I ranked every movie of, that I watched in 2021, Dear Evan Hansen was, was in the top 20. I, I like, mm-hmm. I, yeah, I don't mind that movie at all. Um, I, I never saw what, it, so I have no comment. <laughs> it's like, you, you wouldn't like it, but like, I, I understand why people don't like it. Like, there are, like, I don't know. Once you get past the fact that he looks like he's like 36 and playing a high school team, like, I don't know, kind of like the part of your brain that's like, these things happening in a superhero movie are stupid, so I'm just going to like, accept that and then just go on with the movie. That's mm-hmm. what I did with Dear Evan Hansen. I was like, okay, yeah, he looks like an old man. I'm just going to accept that and move on with the movie. <laughs> and then the rest of it was like, fine. Yeah, that's fair. Like, I love, I really like the movie Grease, but everyone in that movie is like 35 playing in a high schooler. <laughs> yeah. Um, and yeah, that's just the way, yeah, even Euphoria, it's like all, all these shows do now. Mm-hmm. Um, but like an interesting thing to look at, though, is like, I don't know really how, um, yeah, like it's, it's going to go in the future because HBO, they're not doing the day and date release anymore. So at least that's right. not going to be permanent. Um, and it seems like when you don't do the day and date release, like films make a lot more money. Like Shang-Chi was yes. the first, um, mm-hmm. I think, Disney film to go away from it. It made a lot of money. Of course, Spider-Man. Um, Batman recently, but, Warner yeah. Brothers, all yeah. of last think, year they did day and date with HBO. And I think Batman was one of the first movies that they tried doing not day and date. And Shocker, it's a great title, but it also it tremendously helped that it was not day and date. Like, yeah, if you put, if you give yourself a window, people forced to go to the movies and it does make more money and i think one of the things is it gives a film a little bit of legitimacy i think when it's like just in theaters because i think disney plus like or disney's messing up right now because the last three pixar films have been straight disney plus and i think turning red was supposed to go into theaters but i think they saw the success of encanto once it got to disney plus because the mm-hmm. because that film was like kind of popular when it was in theaters, but then skyrocketed when it went to Disney Plus, and now I hear it everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so they were like, okay, so the animated films could just release on Disney Plus and be fine. But like, I think it releasing in theaters first gave it the legitimacy of like, this is a real movie. We believe mm-hmm. in this movie. Um, and then now it goes to Disney Plus, and all those people who couldn't be bothered to go out to the theater are watching it now, or all the people who went to see it in the theaters are like telling their friends about it and like, okay, let's go like watch this again. Um, which I think is the better model. Like I think in the future, like I don't, I, I don't really believe in day and date releases. I just, I don't think that's the right way to release a movie, but I'm fine with mm-hmm. the wind being shortened to, I think 90 days is what, um, is what they want now. Or uh, I think 40, they want 45. Yeah. Or yeah. Paramount. Yeah. One in 45. And I I'm like, I'm fine with that. Or 45 now. Yeah. Because, I, yeah, if you haven't watched a movie in the month that it was in theaters, then, like, you didn't want to watch it. And then, like, I'm fine with, like, yeah, you get a month and a half, um, <laughs> or you get a month to watch it in theaters, two weeks where you're just, like, in limbo, and then you can watch it on whatever streaming service. Like, I think that's a fine life cycle. And people who are in the sixth week and still want to watch it in theaters are just, like, going to do it anyway. Like, right. it's not going to affect, yeah, like, a Spider-Man's box office or whatever. Um, even though they just put Spider-Man on streaming, I think. Oh, they still haven't done it. Um, um, they put it on demand. Like, you can oh, yeah. rental on buying. Yeah. yeah. But I think that's where it's going to go. Because I think, personally, that's how 
I would like. That's my ideal, like movie watching landscape would be. Okay, I watch big movies in the theaters, um, and like I can watch smaller movies, I guess, on TV. Like I watch Coda at home because I don't think it was ever in theaters. Apple yeah. TV Plus, but I don't think it was. And like I love that movie, and my fa- second favorite movie of last year, Swan Song, was also home. So I can watch those types of movies. Like I could have watched Come On, Come On at home. Like those types of movies, I'm fine. But then I definitely still want the theater experience for a Marvel movie, of course, for like those big temples. But then also for like an In the Heights or like um, like any of those types of movies. It's just like I don't know. The theater experience is important for me for those types of things. Like, do you? I don't know, because you don't care about the the theater experience as much. But like, how like do you? Oh, I do. What's oh, your, I like, definitely ideal do. Landscape. Oh no, I definitely I work I work for a theater chain. I definitely care oh, about sure. the about the theater experience. Um, I think I think you're right. I, I I need there to be. I really want there to be a window because I definitely think it gives it a legitimacy, like and it just preserves theater experience. Um, yeah. And yeah, like I definitely gives it legitimacy, like you said. Um, but at the same time, I think having a slightly shorter wait, like 45 days, I think also might keep the movie in the public consciousness for a little bit longer. Like before, it would sort of run in theaters exclusively and then kind of peter out. And then it would eventually, like months later, go on streaming. Whereas I think the slightly quicker turnaround to streaming um, kind of also keeps it in the public consciousness because like kind of like you said people who want to go see it in the theaters can and will um but for people who maybe just don't go to theaters anymore which of course i don't love but i understand that people don't go to theaters anymore but yeah. then by having it on streaming you also get that audience too and it still stays relevant quicker i think which is nice i agree because yeah that's a great point because i don't when did the Kanto come out it came out like near the Is end of last November? year, right? Um, Maybe yeah, last year. Like yeah, and like I feel like that it hit the perfect like um, like window because people watched it. But then I think there should be a little bit of time where it's like the movie has kind of like petered out. Like I don't like yeah. If you release a movie and then thirty days later it's on streaming, it's like the movie didn't really get its full life. I think it's good for home releases when it's like. People are like reminded of that movie. Um, mm-hmm. And I think Encanto kind of like was the perfect window of like people kind of just started forgetting about Encanto, um, kind of like just started like moving on. And then they put it on Disney Plus and they were like, oh yeah, that was that movie I saw two yeah, months ago. Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, uh, yeah, like I really want to see that. So I definitely agree on that point of like, yeah, with the window. Um, and then, I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's just gonna be tough, kind of like yeah, just like navigating that like landscape and like figuring out. I mean, yeah, how to watch like all of these movies. Um, mm-hmm. I will say I am happy for the visibility of some of these smaller movies, though. Because um, I don't know if I would have got a chance to see Coda if Apple. Yeah, because I don't think I would have got a chance to see Coda if Apple TV Plus didn't buy it. Um, uh, and like. I don't know who distributed Come On, Come On, but like I feel like no one has seen that movie. Who's it um, Yeah. Okay. Um, and like I kind of wish a streaming service had bought Come On, Come On. So like 
at least like people could hear it and be like, okay, I'm going to see that because I don't think it got any recognition by the Academy whatsoever. Um, no. I would say also, A24 so, didn't really push that movie very hard also. Um, I think they had other priorities in terms of their sort of... Yeah. Uh, yeah, they kind of selective priorities. sometimes. Um, there, there was a film, A24, this year called The Sky is Everywhere, and I like enjoyed it, and I only watched it because it was on Apple oh, yeah. TV+. No one... But I was like... Why is, why is there no anything for that film? I was like, I like that film. Like, no one, like, I don't know. I just saw it on my, like, feed, and I was like, a new A24 film. But, I mean, at least they they care about the Michelle Yeoh one, whatever that one's called. Everything, everywhere, all at once, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah um, A24 um, sometimes drops the ball in terms of, like, promoting some of their films. I mean, they're like any studio where they uh, pick and choose um, mm-hmm. yeah, what's going to get like, their treatment. Like, there are probably tons of Disney things that just, like, you know, can't get a dollar of marketing um, because it's like, well, we have to spend $100 million on Spider-Man marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I also did want to talk about, like, some of the different um, ways that people are streaming. Because uh, did you watch the Fear Street trilogy? on netflix oh no i didn't i heard about it but i didn't see it yeah i didn't either but i think it's a super interesting concept of like filming three movies all at once um but then yeah releasing them on a weekly basis i was like okay like that's interesting but i don't know do you think that's something that could like happen for like other series because like i'm trying to think of trilogies that i've watched and I'm like, I kind of like the lag time mm-hmm. in a trilogy of like a year to like get like reinvested and rehyped about the trilogy. Like, I don't know if like, I don't know, what's it, like the Planet of the Apes trilogy, this is probably not the best example, but it's the first trilogy I could think of. If like those movies came out like week after week after week, I'd just been like, okay, I don't care anymore. Um, but like, I don't know. Do you think that could work for other movies? Possibly. I guess it depends on if you're trying to, I think, set up your... If you're trying to promote it as either a TV miniseries or films, because I think that there is a dis, a feeling of a distinction between the two. Like for the Fear Street one, I kind of assumed that was like a miniseries. But I guess... It felt like it, yeah. It's like three feature kind of length films, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's interesting. I think that there's, like, the, the Planet of the Apes trilogy, I think if you released it all at once or weekly, it would definitely have more of a feel of a mini-series, and it definitely, I don't think, would have the impact that it currently does if it was released like that. Yeah, but because I'm also, I'm, like, anti-binging at this point. Like, since yeah. uh, the TV series have gone, <coughs> sorry about that, uh, have gone back to, like, the weekly model, Apple TV Plus, Disney both do weekly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think HBO might as well. Um, yeah. I don't really watch HBO Max series. Um, I've just become like, that's just the way I watch TV shows now. I don't really like, I don't do binging. Um, so the fact like binging a movie series seems like kind of weird to me. Like, mm-hmm. even though you do come out like a week, yeah, weeks after like weeks, it's just like, I, like, I guess I just need time to digest movies more. But I feel yeah. like if you're having something small scale like Fear Street, like I think it can maybe work. Um, or like, you know, if they released all three of those Tall the Boys movies back to back <laughs> to back, like I think that would have been fine. But like also just from a marketing perspective, it's like I feel like 
Yeah, you lose years worth of promotion and stuff doing that. Um, right. Because people are going to watch it and then just kind of like consume it and then forget about it in a week or two, like mm-hmm. they do a bingeable TV series versus like, um, like a movie trilogy. A prolonged trilogy, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that goes out for years. And then um, did you watch the Marvel TV shows? I watched um, WandaVision. <laughs> um, it's, I, I said I wasn't going to watch any of them, but then I ended up watching all of them. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's interesting, like, I don't know. Did you, did you like WandaVision? Did you watch all of it? Um, yeah, I liked most of it. I didn't like the last like, episode or two because I thought it just got mm-hmm. too... Like marvelly, marvelly. Like my brother always calls them, like big sky fights. Yeah. And it's how every single Marvel movie ends the exact same way. But all of the kind of genre bending, spooky, slightly Lynchian, like all of that buildup, I actually really did enjoy. Um, I agree, especially on Wandavision because the other <laughs> shows are like another thing. But Wandavision, I thought, started out so strong just in terms of yeah. like i was interested in the show mm-hmm. like it was fun it released to watch on, yeah it released on fridays and i was working from home at the time and i would literally like as soon as i got to lunch because i didn't wake up early enough to like watch that thing before work mm-hmm. um but like i would like sprint up and was like oh i need to see what happened in this episode but then by the end i was like all right it's a marvel series again it's just yeah, yeah the fbi got involved and then there were quips and then kind of the same for the other three falcon and the witcher soldier was was just the kind of the most down the middle um but then, yeah, even with Loki and then to an extent Hawkeye is just like, yeah, just like, I don't know, just, yeah, the formula kind of just drawn out so you get a little bit more character development. Um, but it's just like the formula drawn out over eight episodes instead of condensed into two hours. Yeah. But the thing that's interesting is I would have thought, and I think I even said this when we did the podcast way long ago, was if you get marvel year round which we got last year like there was marvel happening pretty much at all times last year Mm -hmm. um whether it was a movie or a tv show i figured people will be burnt out but like they're just not um and i don't know if part of that's pandemic i didn't know if part of that was just like yeah just like starving for content out of not getting like anything for years but like i don't know like I remember us being skeptical of how Marvel was going to go forward after Endgame, but like seeing how people are still reacting to like this type of stuff, it's like now I don't really think there's, I can't really see that slowing down anymore. (laughs) It's just getting Mm -hmm. bigger. Yeah, it's interesting. I, same, I thought it would burn out eventually, and it'll be interesting to see kind of how. The next films do like newer films because Spider-Man doesn't count. I think he's you know he's a holdover from an earlier franchise. But I think I mean Shang-Chi did do well, which I was which I was pleased with because I liked the cast a whole lot. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how the next couple movies do. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. Honestly, I think it's just a dedication to the IP at this point. People just love that well, Marvel. Gotta have that Marvel. I will say. I guess one thing that is bad for Marvel, at least in terms of the movie side, because the TV side, I think, is going exactly how they wanted. But the movie side, Black Widow did okay, but it was like day and date release, so no one really counts it. Um, but then Shang-Chi did well, but it didn't like break the doors off the box office or anything like that. It did like fine. Um, 
and then yeah spider-man of course did okay but like yeah spider-man relied on you know that previous ip to yeah. like um kind of sell that movie um and dr strange looked like it's doing the same thing and eventually yeah. it's kind of like kind of like with the end game thing it was like we were all going to the end game once you get to that point and and now it's like well now we found our new gimmick we're just gonna like rehash even older stuff um yeah. get that and it's like okay eventually that gimmick's gonna run out and then what are you gonna do but um i'm sure they'll find something you're gonna like buy warner brothers or something and, and get batman in there um get more money i hope not yeah did you see the new batman um i did yes uh i mean it's kind of off topic but like how'd you feel about it um i didn't love it I, I've softened a little bit on it, like, since I saw it. Um, I think I'm just tired. Uh, I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm just tired of grim, dark Batman stuff. I'm just so sick of it. I, but every time I they're like, I'm this also... is a fresh new take on Batman, I'm like, what, he's Taxi Driver again? We really get it. Like, it's not that new to me. It's not that fresh. It was far too long and super, like, sluggish and just kind of somnambulist. Like, everyone was just sleepwalking i felt like um yeah i mean it was way too long that was my biggest complaint also my complaint is not about it being dark and themes um because fine it's batman and he's dark or whatever my movie is is, all these movies are becoming too dark like oh yeah (laughs) like i I can't see anything or hear anything like like, i don't care like oh cinematography like but like i like it doesn't matter what you do if like the whole thing is in the dark and I can't see what anyone's doing. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's just like, and it's not just bad. It's like, even like parts of Dune, it's like, Oh, amazing cinematography. I'm like, no, it's just dark. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, yeah, like not amazing, but I mean, yeah, I like, I thought it was fine. It was just, I was just flabbergasted. That I got out of this theater and people were like, Oh, like, yeah, it's the best Batman movie ever. Like on course with dark Knight. And I was like, how, like did, yeah. we didn't watch, I don't know. That, there was at least five times that I just watched a movie in 2021 and I was like, we didn't watch the same thing because <laughs> what you're saying and what I just watched is like, there's no way we just consumed the same content. Yeah. We'll probably and, talk about some of those movies later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. I liked yeah. aspects of it. Other aspects just really didn't do it for me. I just, it didn't quite hit with me, but yeah. more power to yeah. those for whom it did. <laughs> Well, I mean, at least it's one popular movie that didn't go to Disney. Um, I mean, it's it's Warner Brothers, so not, like, too much better. Well, because Warner Brothers, I was always like, that's the good studio with, like, that supports directors and, like, does all of that. And then, I mean, uh, well, the Tenet thing, I don't know. I don't know. That's just a tricky situation. That's just a messy situation. Yeah, but now they've lost Nolan. Yeah, Denis Villeneuve hates them. Like, I think Denis's done with them after Dune comes out. Um, And then... Like, I don't know, they're kind of, like, losing all these tentpole guys. Um, yeah, and they so. are still, I guess, on the... I'm very, very sus of uh, WB, because they're still on the J.K. Rowling rolling train, and I am so far off that train, you could not imagine. I am trying to derail it's, that train. It's tough, because, I don't know, like, I just watched all the Harry Potters. Uh, they're very good, but oh yeah, oh, um, love, Harry, love the Harry Potters. And like, and I watched the trailer for the new one, and I was like, this actually seems kind of interesting. Um, <laughs> but the weird thing about WB is like, where even are their morals? Because they fired Johnny Depp, um, 
mm-hmm. after the yeah for the whole fiasco with him and Amber Heard or whatever. After, well, they kept him while he was in trouble, but then after he kind of got exonerated, then they fired him, but then they kept Amber Heard, and I'm just like, I don't understand even what the logic is around this like, like reasoning. Either like you don't care and you're just like gonna not care for everyone, but then they're like selectively caring about some things versus another. Um, I mean, I think the reason yeah. that they fired him specifically was there was, there was an issue where he, he had sued, like, an, a magazine in the UK for libel because they called him a wife beater, and he lost yeah. that case. Like, essentially, the courts proved that that was not libel. So I think that was, quote-unquote, enough well, evidence for them to fire him. But also, they're a mess, too, because of the whole... Um, Ray Fisher thing and like um, yeah. they're just a mess they're a whole mess yeah. and they keep defending yeah they keep defending J.K. Rowling and like yeah whatever a mess yeah and they like they took her out of the Harry Potter reunion special but then like the entire reunion special was just like you know she's great well no one ever was like she's great they never talked about her time, it was like, well yeah a lot of time it was like what J.K. Rowling has created is amazing um but and, it was and just the new weird. Trailers for the new Fantastic Beasts says from the mind of J.K. Rowling, and I'm like, ew, you're still putting her on the t- like the trailers, Lord. Yeah, well, I mean, I wonder how much, yeah, input. She, I don't know. Like, can they not? Like, are they allowed to not? <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, that's true. Like, I guess I don't know. Like, yeah, I wouldn't know what to do either um, if I were them, because it's easy for enough for us to be like, oh, just stop making Harry Potter movies. But I mean. <laughs> That's, I guess, a more daunting thing for to, to for one of them to be like, yeah, let's just give up one of the most popular IPs of all time. Yeah, or if um, they were dedicated to making these five Fantastic Beasts movies, which, sure, um, like hire like a new screenwriter, like you know what I mean? If if they were, I don't, I don't think she's screenwriting this one. I she think is. They just, she's doing it with Steve Cloves. Oh, yes, because oh, she wrote yeah. the first two screenplays, and Crimes of Grimmel was so god awful that they were like, mm-hmm. uh-oh, panic mode. So they got in Steve Cloves to co-write it with her, I think, as essentially like an assist, because the blast yeah, one was yeah. so bad. <laughs> I like, I watched all Harry, eight Harry Potters, and I was, a part of me was like, let me go ahead and just do Fantastic Beast. I'll just watch it. Um, but then I'm like, let me not press play, because as soon as I play this, it's going to like ruin all the great Harry Potter like yeah. <laughs> um, like nostalgia that I've built up for the last two months because I watch movies slowly. Yeah. Um, I also don't like WB because they ruined like The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings. That's a whole other thing, but that was another. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I haven't watched them, so I wouldn't know. But Well, they're really <laughs> bad, like, and there was a lot of behind-the-scenes mess of why those oh. Hobbit movies are so bad, and a lot of it was because of WB. It was a whole thing. Anyway. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, all, all organizations are just money-hungry. I'm sure if Universal <laughs> had the IP that these other ones did, they would be worse, too. But, like, yeah. they just don't have anything, so they're like, okay, I guess we'll be kind of good. Um, and then Amazon just bought MGM, so, <laughs> so now they'll be a big player in the game. Um, but um, that's it for news, and I do want to get to the Shooting Star Awards, so um, we will be right back with that. All right, and so for the main topic for this episode, it is our Shooting Star Awards. Now, if you don't remember what our Shooting Star Awards are, that was on the very first episode 
of the Movie People podcast when it was named something else. Um, we did our own version of the Oscars where we kind of went through and gave you our nominations of wins for what should have been nominated at the Oscars. We're going to do the same thing right now, except back on that episode, I already had all the nominations of winners filled out, and it was like a whole committee that voted on them. This time it'll be me and Rachel just figuring it out on the spot, um, even though I think the movies that we've seen are vastly different, so it'll be very interesting. Um, also, even though I disagree with the Oscars' decision to do this, I have taken out the technical categories myself um, <laughs> because we do not have enough time to do every though. single category. Um, just, and also, like, I can't tell you what the what five films with great production design are this year. Like, I could probably pull five out, but, like, I just don't think it... I don't bring a lot of expertise to that conversation. Um, so I was like, I don't even want to try. Uh, so let's start out with best animated film. So um, we oh, both... Yeah. We both... We did a... I, we did a survey, and then we both filled out. So the five that I put are Encanto, Raya and the Last Dragon, Luca... Sing to and Mitchell and the Verse the Machines. Now, those are the only five animated films that I've watched, so I just put them all. Um, and then you put Flea. Yeah, it was the um, only I haven't animated seen Flea. film I saw. <laughs> okay, so let's so do this. Behind. <laughs> I'm fine taking Sing 2 out. Sing 2 was not that good. It was fine, but like I'm very fine taking Sing though. 2 out. Did it? Oh, yeah, yeah I did make Yeah. Um, I think it made less than the first one, but good for a pandemic. Um, yeah, but, especially for family um, titles. They always make yeah. pretty good money. Um, which that series is just like, not to get too much on a tangent, but it's just like, yeah, it's just like a fun family-like film. Like, it's not even, it doesn't even aim to be that good. It's just like, we're just going to put good songs in the trailer, have a good few jokes, um, you know, get a, a, A-list cast Animals. and just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, I just, yeah, like, that series is good for me. But I'm fine taking that out and replacing it with Flea um, because, yeah, it's, yeah, it's not, like, amazing or anything. But the only thing is, I don't, like, is Flea, like, one of your, like, top films? Is it, like, that good? Like, make the case for Flea. What is it about? Oh, so Flea is a really interesting film. It's a, it's an animated documentary, um, and it tells the story. It's, it's not a kid's movie. Uh, it's, like, you know just an animated documentary but it tells the story of this guy named i think in the film his name is they call him amin or amir um but he this documentary filmmaker it was his friend from school so this guy is making this documentary just of his friend telling his life story and it's so compelling he grew up in afghanistan and he had to escape as a refugee and it's this story of his family trying to escape and moving to russia and these harrowing attempts of trying to sneak into like Sweden or he ends up in, I think Denmark is where he ends up in and having to go back to Russia and like, it's intense and harrowing also combined with him sort of struggling with his own sexuality and that sort of realization. Like there's this really sweet moment where he's talking about in the beginning as a kid, he loved Jean-Claude Van Damme and Kickboxer and it's, there's kind of this earnestness to it, or there's a moment where him and this other kind of young, or this like teen boy, their families have paid this truck driver to essentially sm- trying to smuggle them into Sweden, I think, or to the airport where they might try and get into a country as a refugee. Um, but there's this really sweet moment of him and this other boy listening to headphones together. And I think the guy, like the other boy gives him his like necklace and it's just this really tender moment. 
And the whole thing is animated. So basically, it's partially to protect his identity, but also it's like this beautiful impressionistic view of his own life and his childhood memories and memories that he has that are dark or really scary or traumatizing they're animated in a different way like the animation itself is a storyteller and it's just it's really good love it currently it's nominated for this year best international feature best documentary and best animated which is i think the first it's had that combo um but yeah anyway it's a great movie it's i think the the animation itself does a lot of the storytelling which i think is really cool and yeah it's just a great it's movie. animated and a documentary? Yes. So basically, huh. the, the, the structure is this guy recounting his story, and then his memories are animated kind of thing. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and here's, okay, here's what I'll do. Um, I think Flea should win this one in our, in, in our shooting Star Wars. Here's why. Um, I have not seen it, but... Um, <laughs> I could not give a defense of any of the movies that I have seen. I think <laughs> Mitchell vs. the Machines is, is, is fine. Um, a lot of people I, said I that that really movie was... Um, that. Yeah, a lot of people said it was just like, just an amazing, just like, like, yeah, just like out of this world type film. I think a lot of people were just surprised by how good it was. And then mm-hmm. I watched it and I was like, yeah, that was good. Um, same <laughs> with Luca. Um, I thought Luca was good, but just like, I don't know. Have you heard anyone talk about Luca since it came out? Like, it just like kind of came and like, faded. Yeah, like I think a lot of people have like a sweet kind of affinity for it, but I don't know yeah. if it's partly because it got dumped on Disney Plus. But like, I don't know if yeah. it has had a particularly lasting. Yeah, like later this season, we're probably gonna do like a a Pixar tier ranking when like Lightyear comes out, and like I think like Luca would be one of those films where it's just like, yeah, that one like happened, um, and like yeah, I liked it, but it's just like. I didn't ever, like, get to those levels. And then Ryan the Last Dragon and Encanto, I actually think, are the same level of good. But mm-hmm. Encanto is a musical, so it's, like, more memorable. But, like, I yeah. still really do want to see Encanto, because I've heard so many people really like really like it. It's, it's good. It just, it's like Marvel has a formula. Disney has their formula, and they, like, mm-hmm. stick to it. They're, like, Ryan and the Last Dragon and Encanto, like, almost have the same story arc, in my opinion. They just, like... <laughs> oh, no focus on like different themes a little bit but like their ending is like basically the same um yeah and so the fact that people just like love Encanto and no one even talks about Ryan the Last Dragon is weird to me but both of the, like all five of those films for me like even Sing 2 is just like okay I liked it <laughs> um and it seems like Flea is Flea is better so for our official um Shooting Star Awards, a best animated film. The five nominees were Encanto, Ryan the Last Dragon, Luca, and Mitchell vs. the Machines. Oh, and Flea. And Flea is the winner. Um, so that'll be the first winner, is Flea. Um, I think it might be, let me quick check, but I think it might be currently streaming somewhere. Oh, really? I, I might check it out. I think it's actually on Hulu. Ah, uh, the one I don't have. Oh. <laughs> it is on Hulu. <laughs> Um, but yeah, definitely a big recommend. I think it's for being an animated foreign language. Oh, and the, the whole film's in Danish. Um, for being a foreign no. language animated documentary, it's actually quite accessible, I think. And I think that the animation actually kind of helps because it, 
I think it kind of Trojan horses it like, oh, this is like an animated film. I love animation while telling this very human and very complex story. Um, but again, I think the animation really makes it very accessible. Um, and the story is so compelling and human and it has like a good ending. It's not, it's, it can be sad and intense, but there's, it has like a really good ending. And yeah, big recommend. Love Flea. Yeah, so Flea is our first winner. Now for best song, I, I think put we're going to do, I was about to say, I think we're going to do our first skip here because I also couldn't think of anything. And I just put, we don't talk about Bruno and family Madrigal yeah. from um, Encanto. And I was like, okay, hopefully the other people on the show can put something to fill it out. But since you don't have anything, Oops. I guess we'll just give it to, we don't talk about Bruno because it's popular. Um, also, and then move on. <laughs> I was also thinking between that and score, I still kind of feel like the Oscars or maybe we could add this, but I I still think that there should be a category for like best soundtrack or like best music curation because I couldn't yeah. think of this song like an original song, but I could think of multiple movies with killer soundtracks. Can I you tell know, you what I would have? Oh, wait, sorry. Can I tell you what I would have picked for best soundtrack this year? Mm. Which one? A movie I just saw on Friday, Belfast. Um, oh yeah, but that's a, I literally well, that's a I don't even. I don't even like Van Morrison that much, but like I went and downloaded every single Van Morrison oh, really? song from that soundtrack. Oh, yeah, I joined the cult. <laughs> I was just like, oh, like yeah, I was super into that. What other ones would you say for soundtrack though? Ooh, I you know, in our little our little shooting stars, we're gonna replace best song this year with best <laughs> soundtrack, just because it's a more interesting thing to like talk about. <laughs> oh, I would say um, the harder they fall on from Netflix had a killer. I didn't catch that one. Yeah. Um, Licorice Pizza, full of just primo, like, 70s needle drops. Ooh, love it. Um, I think Worst Person in the World, the Danish film, had, like, a really good soundtrack. Uh, some yeah. cool, like, deep, just really cool music picks. Um, let me look. I'm looking. Actually, honestly, Flea has pretty good <laughs> um, needle drops or, like, good music curation. Um, House of Gucci had a great soundtrack. Uh, again, all like seventies. Yeah. Yeah, there were. Yeah, Belfast is a great one. Um, yeah, I think that's a really interesting skill yeah. of like music curation because sometimes it can be obnoxious, like Cruella or Suicide Squad, where it's like, <laughs> "Ooh, I really get it. We're in the seventies." But then you have like, Licorice Pizza has this moment where it's the two characters, and it's just after this kind of harrowing scene or like. A sad scene, and they're sort of reconnecting, and it's "Let Me Roll It" by Wings. Ooh, baby, that's a great song, and it's a great moment, and that takes skill of finding a good needle drop for a certain moment. Um, oh, yeah, you can yeah. definitely uh, do it wrong with the music. So, like, I would definitely not, yeah, be opposed to um, best soundtrack. I guess it would just feel a bit weird, like if they actually put it in the Oscars, and yeah. like yeah, some director gets an Oscar for like, yeah, songs that someone else wrote. Um, <laughs> Well, I think we go to the music, uh, the music editor. I think that's typically that that position in films is like picking all the songs that go in a film. Yeah, um, I guess it just depends. Like, if it's really distinct, I'm always like, okay, the director probably like, like I'm sure. Well, I mean, obviously, um, James Gunn has like a big, um, yeah, say. Oh, yeah, those would he doesn't make the soundtracks himself. Um, but yeah, I think it's different for every film. Yeah, some mm -hmm. probably just outsource it to the music director. Um, but, okay, what, what would you say? Because obviously I would say Belfast for the best soundtrack of last year. Um, That's a good one. 
But what would you say? What would be like? Yeah, your winner there. Like my number one. Um, honestly, probably Licorice Pizza. I think they have mm. such iconic songs, but they're deployed, I think, in really smart ways that heightens both the song itself and the scene that it's put in. Right? Mm. Like with Cruella, right? They were just picking like any seventy song they could think of. Um, mm-hmm. And just sort of slamming it in the, mm-hmm. like slamming it into the film. But I think Licorice Pizza was really smart about like picking the right songs for the right moments, um, which is very, which is great. But yeah, Belfast is so good too. All those are so evocative and yeah. I don't really remember the era. Licorice. I don't remember. I don't even remember the Licorice Pizza soundtrack. I don't know. I, there. I don't know. We could talk about that film later. There's just many problems I have with that film. But um, I just don't remember it that much. Of the other ones you said, I haven't seen The Harder They Fall. Um, That's a fun one. Then, like it's like it's a black western on that on Netflix, and it has a really anachronistic soundtrack. So there's a lot of like hip hop and reggae and really interesting, cool songs that are not period accurate, but they they're just very smart in the vibe of the film or the energy of the scenes. Um, that really kind of makes it a very interesting twist on a western. Uh, like the yeah. opening credits are sick, and yeah, there's certain songs that just kind of really get you like going. And it's cool that it's deployed in like a period piece. So I think that's a smart one as well. Yeah. But um, we'll leave that one. I know I said that was going to be an official one, but I'm thinking too hard about how we would actually figure that one out. So let's <laughs> just go to best score. Um, so I put two and you put four. So we'll have to kick one of these films out. Um, <laughs> and then um, we'll decide a winner. So um, you put Dune, Power of the Dog, Spencer, and West Side Story. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen all four of or I haven't seen Spencer, but I've seen the other four, three of those. Um, I didn't remember the score too much. And I put a movie called Swan Song that you'll hear me talk about a lot more. Is I that love the that movie. movie. No, it's the one on Apple TV Plus with Mahershala Ali. There's two oh, movies right. called Swan Song that okay. came out this year, weirdly <laughs> enough. Um, and yeah, well, I liked the. Really good. I, yeah, I really enjoyed it. One of my favorite films. And I put Come On, Come On is my other score. Um, oh. I've. I'm fine taking Come On, Come On out, to be fair. I just kind of put that because it was the only one I could think of. Um, I don't remember the score in that. I think I'd have to go back and re-listen to it. I, I just like, I don't either, but I remember, I don't remember not liking the music. And I remember, <laughs> like, um, certain scenes feeling emotional, and I was like, maybe the music helped that. But I'm fine taking Come On, Come On out. The only thing I'll, I'll fight against is, I don't want Dune to win. It can get the nomination, but um, I think Hans Zimmer is, uh, in my opinion, the greatest com- film composer of all time. Um, and I just, I think he lost his step a little bit with Dune. Um, I just like, it's just, I don't know. He like, it always went back to that weird, like woman yelling tone and it just went back to it. So he did the same thing in Wonder Woman and it was just weird. And it like always went back to that, and I was like, okay, I get it that that's like the tone of this film, but like nothing in that score really hit that well. Um, and like, uh, I don't know, I just like maybe it's expectation type thing. Is like I just expect so much from Hans Zimmer, but like I don't think I could give him the win for that one. <laughs> if it, of your choices, I'd probably, I'd probably say West Side Story, but like. Um, that's an interesting one because I put West Side Story. I don't know if it like quote unquote counts because it's based on an original musical by Leonard Bernstein. Like it's not an original. I don't know if that counts as an original score. Because all the music is 
Yeah, okay. Well, in that case, yeah, I'm going to go with West Side Story because it's like one of the greatest musicals ever written. And Leonard Bernstein's a genius. And that music yeah. is a genius. <laughs> it's like, because I can't, I can't even remember the Power of the Dog score. Like, I'm sure it was fine. Kind of the same thing with Come On, Come On. There were emotional scenes that I'm sure were helped with the music. And he did his little fiddle thing, so like, okay. Um, and oh, I haven't seen Spencer. But. Uh, so Power of the Dog and Spencer were both by Johnny Greenwood. Um, so they both have a similar vibe. They're both kind of jangly and creepy. And the Spencer score is straight up like a horror score, which is very interesting in that film because it's like kind of a horror movie, honestly, about Princess Diana. Um, so that score is very effective in making you feel like it's a horror film. Because um, I think if you remove that score, it could almost be like The Crown, but that score does such a heavy, or does such a good job of like, oh, this is like a psychological horror film, which is creepy. And then in Power of the Dog, it's again very jangly and kind of a lot of like, like plucked strings and kind of like, yeah, give you kind of an uneasy feeling. It's almost like they're taking, he's taking like Western instruments, like fiddles and banjos and guitars and taking all the warmth and folk out of it and making it kind of creepy and unsettling, which again, kind of works for the film, but yeah. Overall, I'd say West Side Story because okay. Bernstein's the yeah. best. So, for our best score, our nominees are Swan Song, Dune, Power of the Dog, Spencer, and West Side Story. And West Side Story gets our second shooting star um, <laughs> oh, award. What, what were your thoughts on uh, Swan Song, though? Defend, throw, your, throw the word in for Swan Song. It, it's just like, I like, well, I mean, I'll talk about it later, too, because it's mm-hmm. not the only time it appears on my, um, my Oscars list. But, like, in terms of just the score, it like it does a really good job because it kind of has a sci-fi concept, but then a really human story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just really glad with this score because I think if they had went with kind of like a eerie, like let's make this, yeah, kind of like horror-y type like thing, it would have set off the tone of that movie. Mm-hmm. But the score really goes for more of an emotional type thing which really kind of connects you more to the characters. And it's really like piano led. And then there's like a really beautiful moment with um, Mahershala Ali's wife, who I can't, wait, maybe I nominated her. Maybe I can remember the name of her. Um, let's see, uh, Naomi Harris. Um, oh, yeah, so Naomi Harris. Yeah, there's a beautiful moment with uh, Naomi Harris and Mahershala Ali where she's just playing the piano. And it was just such a, like, I don't know if that's original or not, but it was just so beautifully written. It was like, that was the only one that, like, as soon as uh, I saw Best Score, I was like, that's the only one for me last year that really stuck out. Which I didn't think of West Side Story because, yeah, it's a musical. Like, I don't think of the scores of those films. Um, but, like, I don't know. I think just the conscious choice of how they wrote that score is, is why I put that in there, and I think it deserves a nomination. I'm fine with West Side Story winning, but um, I don't know. Yeah, it's the only um, score uh, last year that stuck out to me. So, mm-hmm. big comment on Swan Song, and I'll be talking about it some more, because I absolutely adore that movie. Um, only movie last year that I recommended to my parents. Um, <laughs> really? or recommended to, like, I don't recommend movies that much anymore. I just like kind of watch them um, and just keep them to myself. But that one, I was like, I need other people to see this. Um, oh, very cool. Then uh, Coda, I recommended Coda to some people, too. But anyway, our next... Um, our next category is Best Cinematography. Now, this one's going to be a tough one because I have three choices. You have five. None of them are the same. Um, so I put Dune, Tragedy of Macbeth, and Nightmare Alley. Oh, um, yeah. Actually, those are all great. And, yeah, and you put Green Knight, Come On, Come On, 
Parallel Mothers, French Dispatch, and West Side Story. Now, I... You can get rid of Parallel, well, parallel Mothers. I think, um... I technically, actually, Parallel Mothers should be more production design, I think. Um, but Pedro Almodovar yeah. has such a distinctive look to all of his films. But I think that really is more design than cinematography. Yeah. The one that stuck out, because I think Green Knight, I've heard, like, at least from what I've seen of that movie, I can get the cinematography nod for that one. Um, come on, come on, though. It's a beautiful film. Um, but just compared to the other ones, it's a bit harder for me. Um, which I don't know if you've seen Tragedy of Macbeth. That one just has amazing yeah, cinematography. Um, and so does Nightmare Alley. Um, even though I've seen, I saw it in black and white and it still had great cinematography. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Dune, of course. But oh, yeah. um, so, I mean, French Dispatch, though, like. That might also I don't be production. Know. I think that might be production design as well. Yeah, I mean, he just has such a distinctive look, but like, yeah, I think his goes more into. Yeah, the way he costumes and the way he sets things up more than cinematography. So, if I could take... Well, which one do you think, of these three, which one has the best cinematography to you? Come On, Come On, Parallel Mothers, or French Dispatch? Oh, um, honestly, I'd probably actually still go with Come On, Come On. I think there's a lot of shots in that film that are really interesting and I think really add to a lot of the emotion of the film like I th- oh we did you, you saw come on come on right yeah like there's that shot of when they're I think in New York and I think it's the skate park like when he's teaching his nephew mm-hmm. how to record sound but if I remember it's like a wide shot and it's just them kind of in the middle of the skate park and you hear the sound that they're recording but I think that's such a sweet shot of just them alone in the skate park next to each other and like he's so tall and the kid is so short I think that's such a great. If we did um sound, um, Ooh, if we did yeah. sound in here, that one had great sound design as well. Yeah, as part of like um, the plot, almost it's great. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, probably. But you know what? Eager to French Dispatch and Parallel Mothers. Okay, so that oh, leaves our five nominees at Dune, um, Tragedy of Macbeth, Nightmare Alley, Green Knight, and Come On, Come On. Oh wait, we need to get rid of one more. Because West Side Story, you put that too. <laughs> um. Oh, I do think that I do think the cinematography in West Side Story is so good. Um, let me see. It is. Uh, but like, I don't know. I feel I. You know, to be fair, I could get rid of Dune. I don't know. <laughs> like, Oof. if need be, I could get rid of. Like, it feels weird saying that though. Like, it feels think, like I shouldn't be getting rid of Dune. If you wanted to get rid of it though, you could justify it as production design, because that movie is mm, production design. Not that. Embodied. It is, but like it also is definitely cinematography. Um, but it is, yeah, it is kind of both. But you could say the same about West Side Story. I, it's hard for me to say West Side Story has better cinematography than Dune. They're very similar, but there are um, some really interesting camera shots in West Side Story that I think the original doesn't have and really add to the, you know. There's just a lot of really great dynamic camera work. <laughs> In West Side Story, but that's probably true of Dune yeah, as well. Man. But with it, Dune, like, I remember a lot of static camera shots. I didn't. You know what? That that's exactly what I was gonna say. You know, it's like now that I think about it, I keep yeah having this big reverence for Dune. Dune has great visuals, mm-hmm. but it doesn't have great camera work really. Yeah, it's a lot of still shots. Um, well, it was a lot overwhelming of, enormity, but a, yeah. a lot of times the camera is just like a huge wide shot of like this insane ship. <laughs> 
So, you know what? Let's do it. Let's take out Dune. Um, Though, I do. I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. Um, I mean, I. I mean, we can talk about Dune the movie a little bit later. Not as huge of a fan of Dune the movie as other people, but the cinematography is great. It's kind of weird that we're taking it out. But um, our five remaining would be Tragedy of Macbeth, Nightmare Alley, Green Knight, Come On, Come On, and then West Side Story. And then of those five, I haven't seen Green Knight. That's the only one I haven't seen. Um, But I think, I don't know. I think it has to be Tragedy of Macbeth. I don't know. That one has very good cinematography. Yeah. Um, what a, a really gorgeous film. Because I think it kind of combines both. Like, that one has great wide shots and, like, cinematography on that level, but then it also really has good, like, camera work and really good angles. Like, when Denzel Washington is coming down, like, with the whole, and what's it called? And he's like, and this and this and this. Um, oh, and tomorrow and tomorrow creeps in. And tomorrow and tomorrow, yeah, yeah. Like, Where he's like kind of walking like, down the stairs. Yeah, like yeah. that type of stuff. Like, I just think that is so well shot. Nightmare Alley, I think, is beautiful, but like, I, I'm fine with that one not getting the nod. Um, I haven't seen Nightmare Alley, so. But, um, come On, Come On, I think is good, but I don't think it's better than Tragedy of Macbeth. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't seen Green Knight. Um, Green Knight's great. But that also could. Yeah. I will go Tragedy um, of, the, of those five. Yeah, um, sure, I'm done with that. Cool, I let's think do so it. Either so maybe, Chad- yeah, Macbeth or West Sides. I think that yeah. would be great. Um, I, I also agree that West Sides would probably be the second one there. So the best cinematography, our nominees were Tragedy of Macbeth, Nightmare Alley, Green Knight, Come On, Come On, and West Side Story. And Tragedy of Macbeth gets the nod there, even though I'm not sure if it was even nominated in the real Oscars. Um, it might have been. But I don't, I don't know if it was. I don't know. That didn't get as many noms as I was really hoping. Yeah. Um, okay, our next one's best screenplay, um, which just in our version of the Oscars, I just can't be bothered to figure out what's an original screenplay versus what's an adapted screenplay. Yeah, so we just put them all in one. Um, Makes it easier. And again, yeah, you, I have five, you have four. None of them are the same. <laughs> um, wait, that's not true. Come on, come on. We both have come on, come on yeah. in common. So that's going to get a nomination. Um um, your other three were Licorice Pizza, Power of the Dog, and Card Counter, and my other four were Coda, Swan Song, Tick Tick Boom, and King Richard. Um, mm-hmm. Now this one's gonna be tough because I really don't want to vote any of mine out. <laughs> um, but I don't know. Okay, like I haven't seen Card Counter. Is, are you like attached to that one in any way? <laughs> uh, no, but I do. Card Counter is an intense film that I didn't like, but I appreciated. And I think um, there's a lot of monologuing in the film, and it's a very introspective film. And a lot of that comes from the writing. And it's written by Paul Schrader, who's like a legend. And there's a lot of yeah. very interesting film. And I think what it deals, it deals with sort of the, a quick brief of the card counter is um, there's this guy who was previously, I think, in like military prison for war crimes in Iraq. It's implied that it's he was at Abu Ghraib, or not implied, he was at Abu Ghraib and I think was arrested for torture or like abuse of prisoners at Abu Ghraib, like horrific crimes against humanity. But he went to prison and his boss or his commanding officer who ordered all this got off scot free. So he's become like a sort of weird loner gambler. 
who travels around and he meets this kid whose father was also implicated at Abu Ghraib and then killed himself, I think. And so this kid wants to murder this man who was their commanding officer. And so Oscar Isaac is the main character and he sort of tries to take this yeah. kid under his wing and sort of, it's kind of about what essentially like what the Iraq war and the like the inhumanity that we caused, how it affects people. It's a very, it's a tough movie. I think it's a very interesting film. However, no one saw it, so you can get rid of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's going to be a lot of, especially because it's just me and you, it's going to be a lot of like, uh, the other one didn't see it, so we can't like yeah. put it on. Um, okay, here's the tough two. Cause, I mean, Coda has to be in there for me. It just, it has to. And yeah, in my opinion, and I don't know. I'm going to also fight very hard for Swan Song um, just to get it. Of all the noms, I think Swan Song should get the screenplay nom. But the two, I guess, we need to reckon with here are, in my, for me, it's Tick, Tick, Boom and King Richard. And then oh. for you would be Licorice Pizza and, and Power of the Dog. Do you see Tick, Tick, Boom? I did. Oh. I thought it was really cute, really sweet. <laughs> um, I didn't, like, obsess over it. I thought it was yeah. a sweet film. Here's what I'll say. I'm fine with taking Tick, Tick, Boom out because I think I loved, like the film more for Andrew Garfield's performance than I do yeah. the script. Um, so I'm fine with taking Tick, Tick, Boom out. Um, King Richard is a film that I think is very well written in terms of it shows, will, it shows kind of a father's love for his child and it shows how like egotistical and like stubborn and like frustrating he can be but it always puts it under the light of like he's doing this for his daughters um so i really enjoy that film um and just from a story writing perspective but i also think that um it's very enhanced by will smith's acting mm -hmm. but um i just i don't think i I don't think I can let licorice pizza get in there. Like I, do, I like, I don't know. Like, I this is my first Paul Thomas Anderson film. Maybe I just don't like him as a filmmaker. Uh, well, no, it's my second. No, because I saw Phantom Thread with you. Oh, um, but I just, first of all, the age gap thing is 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 what it is. You know, like I I didn't like it. It took me out of the movie. But like that is a a standalone point. Um, but. Also, the film outside of that, to me, just wasn't that interesting. It was kind of, like, not, like, slow, but, like, just kind of, it just kind of was a movie to me. It just, like, it didn't really felt like, like anything mattered. Um, and it was just, like, kind of a whatever movie for me. And then you put on top of that kind of the age difference thing which is weird and then the two really weird racist scenes in there which i just That's didn't like true. and i was just like for that reason i just like i like i don't know i i, I don't know if i could if would feel comfortable with licorice pizza passing power of the dog is another thing but like i don't know i guess like make the case for licorice pizza getting in i guess despite those things i guess my thing with the screenplay is so much of the characterization of specific, specifically the lead, the two leads, I think that they're such distinctive characters and their, their dynamic is so interesting and kind of bizarre and 
weird but also kind of sweet and earnest. And I think so much of that is just in the writing and the dialogue and how these two characters interact. And I think um, Cooper Hoffman as like this weird teen entrepreneur child actor, I think it's such an interesting, like it's such a unique screenplay and or it's like a unique story and like really unique situations that capture 70s Valley really well. And I think it's, I just, I thought the dialogue was really funny and interesting and unique. And again, I think it goes back to the characters for me of just really well-written characters, to me at least, and um, all that's in the screenplay. But if you feel so strongly about it, you can get rid of it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I do, yeah. But, like, I guess for me, I don't know, I just didn't like that movie very much. But um, also, I think, yeah, the actors' charisma contributed a lot to their chemistry, even... I think more than the screenplay does, um, which, if anything, yeah, the movie rides off their chemistry, I think, more than it rides off of the script of that film. Um, but then for Power of the Dog, I don't know. Maybe that was just another one that I just didn't get. Like, I don't know. Oh, when I was I watching it, I was like, this is kind of boring. I'm fine with it passing, actually, because... That's a movie that when I thought about it a bit more, I was like, okay, I like it a bit more than I liked it while I was like, just while I was watching it, I wasn't enjoying it. But then That's after, I was like, need to really okay, this chew is fine. on, I think <laughs> it is. And once you like, I don't know, uh, if there's a movie that I think is either good or interesting, I'll watch video essays on it. And I, once I watched a few video essays, I was like, okay, I can see why people are enamored by this thing. It just like wasn't my favorite, but. I'm definitely fine with it passing. Um, and then I can take TikTok or Tick Tick Boom off of mine um, to get our final nominations, which would be Coda, Swan Song, Tick Tick Boom. Or sorry, Coda, Swan Song, King Richard, Come On, Come On, and Power of the Dog. Um, but I guess Come On, Come On has to win, right? It was the only one that me and you have in common. <laughs> um, <laughs> That's how we want to do I mean, it by default. <laughs> I mean, I get, I mean, I personally think Coda and Swan Song both have better scripts than Come On, Come On, but like, I mean, you haven't seen either of those. Um, <laughs> or King Richard. Uh, so it's like, it's hard for me to make my point. And I can make my point about Coda, Coda later, but for Swan Song, I'll make my point for Swan Song now. Um, because I think the screenplay is its best, is its biggest strength. Um, Swan Song is a movie about a man who has a debilitating illness, and um, and he he has like a few months to live, and they offer him a procedure that basically replaces him with a clone of himself that doesn't have the same deficiency that he has, um, and so basically he would go to this island you know, meet the clone, and if he's fine with, you know, the clone and he's fine with the process, he would live the rest of his life on this island, and the clone would go and live out the rest of his life with his family, so his family never has to watch, doesn't have to live with their father dying at, like, Mm -hmm. 40-something years old. Um, And this is a film that that concept could so easily be, like, a Netflix-type concept, um, and then, you know, like craziness, like type of stuff ensues and like it could easily have been one of those types of movies. But what I love about this movie is it has a sci-fi concept, kind of like her and like movies of that realm where it has a sci-fi dystopian type concept, 
but it really grounds the movie in realism. And I think that's just like my favorite, one of my favorite subgenres of movies. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that this movie takes that concept, but then grounds it in the reality of like, you know, this man is choosing to like live the rest of his life without his, you know, his wife and like his, um, and his son. And like, it kind of shows, um, like how he met his wife and like their journey together and the stuff that they've been through. And it's a really emotional movie, but then it's also like an interesting movie. And one of the things that I love about it so much is it's one of the movies that I like thought about after. And like, I watched, I don't know, 55, I think 2021 movies. Mm-hmm. And like, um, and I think 51 of them, I walked out and just like, you know, um, just forgot about it. It's like, okay, I saw that movie. Like, let's move on. Like, what am I going to eat for dinner? But like, for that movie in particular, it just like, it brought about questions of like, how I would deal with it or like, or how like, how I can like apply like, like what happened in this movie to like situations in my own life. And it made me want to talk about it more. And it made me want to like, show my parents and get their perspective on the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So that's my like, kind of like pitch for like, at least Swan Song, the script, I think, does a really good job of like having that in between of being an emotional movie, being a interesting sci-fi, high concept type movie, and then uh, Mahershala Ali is great as well, but that's not really screenplay. <laughs> um, but I, uh, I guess that would be like if I had to pick from my list, what would be the best screenplay? It would be Swan Song, um, with Coda being a close second, but. Um, I'm fine with come on, come on winning as, as it's the only, um, it's the only one that's equal. <laughs> that I, think, I genuinely think that this, the come on, come on screenplay is so good. I think so much of the characterization of all the three leads of that film of like Joaquin Phoenix being the sort of mm-hmm. loving but distant uncle dealing with the collective grief of their lost par- their mother with him and his sister mm-hmm. who's dealing with her her husband having like unspecified mental health issues and this precocious little kid but also who's very inquisitive i think there's so much really great writing in that come on come on screenplay and yeah it's it's just really really like sweet and very effective and it's the only um if i've kodos swan song and um, come on, come on! I believe were the only three movies last year that made me cry. Um, <laughs> oh, I cried a lot. I think I cried during a couple <laughs> movies. Yeah. Oh, I cried during like, come I can't on, think on too. Of, absolutely. Like I can't think of another one. Like maybe. Yeah. No. Yeah. There definitely wasn't another one. Oh, maybe parts of King Richard. Um, but. Uh, Did you ever see um, the film Twentieth Century Women? No, I have not. Okay, because um, that's the same director, Mike Mills, or same writer, writer and director. Oh yeah. Uh, and they're. They're very similar. Like if you, if you, if you liked Come On, Come On, I think 20th Century Women, you'd probably like that one yeah. as well. But they're both. I've been reco- yeah, I've been recommended that film multiple mm-hmm. times, and I think I tried watching it once, and I just wasn't in the right state. But like, mm-hmm. um, it looks good. I think and it has Saoirse. Yes, and mm-hmm. I think it's um, yeah, I think it's just they're like the two those two Mike Mills movies that I've seen are both so introspective and like nuanced and very empathetic with like difficult situations or characters and i think that comes out in the screenplay yeah um but uh the screenplay uh is going to go to come on come on and i am happy with that choice um and so now we have yeah absolutely um like of all of the like because it didn't 
They get, yeah, I got completely snubbed, right? Or no, did Mike Mills get the nom? No, um, I think I got totally yeah, no. snubbed. Yeah, so like that's just crazy. I, I for sure, because I watched it thinking it was going to be an Oscar type film, and then it just no one watched kind it. So our next you. one, these are going to be the hard ones. So let's get to them. So let's best supporting actress. Um, so again, two completely different lists, but I'm not too attached to my list to be honest. So I don't know if I'm super attached have, to mine either. <laughs> so, but I mean, we do have one in common here, so we might have an easy winner. But yeah. to come up with a list might be harder. So you have Kirsten Dunst. Mm-hmm. Um, Catriona Belfast, is that from Belfast? Yes, she's the mom in Belfast. Okay, I don't have her on my list, but I didn't watch Belfast when I made my list, so <laughs> I can confirm that one now, uh, now that I've seen it. Ariana DeBose, um, and then Gabby Hoffman. Um, I have Marley Malton from CODA, mm-hmm. um, Naomi Harris from Swan Song, mm-hmm. Antonu Ellis from uh, King Richard. Mm-hmm. I also have Gabby Hoffman, and yeah. I could not think of a fifth, so I put Caitlin Deaver from Dear Evan Hansen. Oh. Caitlin Deaver can leave. I just like Caitlin Deaver, so I put <laughs> her in fair. there. So from yours, I'm absolutely on board with, with keeping, um, how do you say her name? Catriona? Katrina Balfe. Yes, I've heard that before. Katrina <laughs> um, Kirsten Dunst, or Kristen Dunst, sorry. No, Kirsten. Yeah, Kirsten Dunst. Yeah, it's Kirsten um, Dunst and Kristen Stewart. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I don't know. Her and Ariana DeBose. Like, I, I thought Ariana DeBose was fine. I've never seen the original West Side Story, which I think some of my, I mean, spoiler alert for, I guess, my thoughts on West Side Story. I didn't love it as much as a lot of people. Like, I think parts of me for that was like, I just hadn't seen the original, so I can't compare her to Rita Moreno or anything like that. It was just like, you know, wait, no, Rita Moreno played. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The lead, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, yeah, I guess I never like, I don't know. I couldn't get into her performance as much. I thought she was fine. Um, but then people just like, went head over heels for her. Um, I just didn't get it that much. And Kirsten Dunst was just, she was in that movie. Um, I mean, I think Benedict Cumberbatch was amazing. And then everything else in that movie just was happening. Um, like, I don't know. I'm not too attached to any of my picks though. So I don't like mind them. Um, I think Anjanu Ellis from King Richard was really good. I would like her to stay. Um, I think Marley Malton and Naomi Harris are also good, but I'm fine with them leaving. So I don't, I don't know how it's make the case for Kristen Dunst or Kirsten Dunst and Ariana DeBose. Oh, um, I think Ariana DeBose is really that role of of Anita, I think is a, it hits a lot of like, there's a lot of stuff going on with her character that you have to really portray like joy, like love, lust, Fear, frustration, grief. There's a lot going on in that char- with that character, and I think Ariana DeBose does a great job of. She's so charismatic, great dancer, great singer, but I think she also hits all those notes really well. Like she hits the feistiness and the caringness of how she cares for um, Maria, and then at the end, spoilers for a million-year-old movie, when Bernardo was killed, that grief of her having to like identify the body and realizing that the love of her life is dead and then later when she's almost assaulted by the jets and that anger and rage and that she has i think she just hits all those notes really well and that can be a tough character but she i think portrays it really well and kirsten dunst i think is great because i just love kirsten dunst and that's a tough role it's a it's a pretty unsub or it's a it's just a tough role but i think she does it really well and she balances it with 
the kind of paranoia and fear that she has for Benedict Cumberbatch character and her worry about her son and like what his new relationship with this guy will become. Um, I think it's interesting, but she's not the biggest part of that movie. So like, that's fine. We, we can get rid of her. But I think if Gabby Hoffman's our, co- our combo, then like, honestly, yeah, Gabby be, Hoffman, she's so good. I'm fine movie. with Gabby Hoffman winning. Well, actually, you know, I would also be fine with Katrina Balfe winning. Actually, she's, uh-huh. she's the heart of that movie as well. Like, because she's, yeah, technically not, like, in my valve, but, like, I would have wrote her in if I had seen Belfast when I was writing this. But So, like, those would be the two that we'd be going, like, winning over. Two of, moms. Like, <laughs> if we take Kirsten Dunst out, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I like Marley Malton a lot, but I'm fine with taking her out there, better parts of CODA. Um, and then that would leave... Oh yeah, Katrina, Gabby, Anjanu, um, Naomi. Oh wait, we have one more spot. Okay, never mind. We can keep her in then. Um, we'll keep Kirsten Dunst in, <laughs> um, because I like yeah, Marley Malton. I, I think was really good, but um, the acting in Coda is just like it's just ensemble, so it's like harder to um, mm-hmm. focus on one. But between Gabby Hoffman and Katrina Balfe to win, it's tough. Because mm-hmm. um, they both, first of all, they look kind of similar to me. I thought it was the same actress when I was watching Belfast. Oh, really? <laughs> um, I mean, I haven't seen, I watched Come On, Come On a long time ago, but I was like, that looks like the person from Come On, Come On to me. Um, but I think of the two, I actually think Katrina was a bit better. I don't know. I feel like I might go with Gabby Hoffman only because I think that's a more complex role I think that she had to pull off because Katrina Balfe it's like a you know she's like a mom in a tough situation but she's a very idealized look at Kenneth Branagh's mom as you know as a child would it's like this like mom who's struggling to keep it all together and look after her kids she's really trying her hardest and I kind of like the Gabby Hoffman was like sometimes I hate my kid and that's okay like yeah I think that there's more of a complexity with like they had a, an interesting kind of weird dynamic, and she also had to deal with her sort of unresolved tension with her brother over their mom dying. Like, I like that that they had to sort of work that out through the course of the film, and her dealing with yeah. her husband's mental health issues and her sort of frustration with her child and her brother. Um, I, don't know, I think it was a kind of a more interesting character, and I think she pulled it off with like a lot of humor. And I think what could have been maybe a potentially not as sympathetic character, I think Gabby Hoffman's performance made it very sympathetic. Yeah, I agree with everything that you said. The only reason I would go Katrina over Gabby, um, which I'm fine giving it to Gabby because it's like such a small margin between them for these two. Yeah, but I think I got to see a bit more range in Katrina because Gabby, like, yeah, her whole character was just like frustrated mom character um which frustrated for a different a little bit less too to be fair yeah um and while katrina which yeah katrina could technically maybe be no no only the kids lead i'd say but She's like, like almost a lead. um yeah but her i mean we got to see her yeah be like a concerned mom but then we also got to like see that scene where like the kind of warfare is going on and she's like like kind of like yeah, like carrying those like kids like behind, and so we got to see like mm-hmm. that frustrated like side of being a mom. But then we also got to see like the happy moments, yeah. um, mm-hmm. with just like her and her husband at like that dance and like those types of things. Um, and so I, I I'd say like hers has a little bit better of a range because we've got to see like the mom side of her, like 
the wife side of her and just like all those types of things. But I guess um, Gabby's has a bit more depth um, because, yeah, Katrina's is more just like, you know, yeah, my mom's like cool um, <laughs> from Kenneth. Um, so let's give it to Gabby. Oh, sure. Love her. <laughs> um, and she didn't get nominated, so I feel like <laughs> she deserves it. Yeah. Did Katrina get nominated? Oh, actually. I think so, right? Yeah, because yeah. Belfast got some awards. Yeah, I think I so. Um, okay, so let, yeah, let's give Best Supporting Actress to Gabby Hoffman, which is that? Yeah, our second Come On, Come On award. Um, I really this is I the, loved Come On, Come On. Like, this, I was so bummed. I think our last time... Oh, go ahead. I, just, I was so bummed that it didn't really get any... It didn't pick up any yeah. nominations. Because I was... Oh, yeah, I was about to say, like, I... Uh, yeah, like I think our last time, I forget which film it was, but yeah, there was a lot of it where it's just like, we're going to give it a bunch of shooting stars to make up for what the Oscars didn't, <laughs> which I didn't even, that's not how I go into these, but like, um, <laughs> it's just kind of neat that, yeah. You know, it happens. Um, come course. on, come on. Which, to be fair, this next um, one, there, we have one in common, and it is uh, another come on, come on person. <laughs> okay. But um, we'll see. So for Best Supporting Actor, you put um, Cooper Hoffman and Woody Norman. Um, Cooper is the licorice pizza guy, yeah, right? Yeah, he probably could have been um, lead, but I was like, eh. I, I ran yeah, out of space, so I just put him in supporting. <laughs> I, yeah, that, yeah, that's fine, because he wouldn't have been nowhere near lead. Uh, there's too many lead actor performances yep. this year. But, um, uh, yeah, that's fine. Woody Norman, I, I'm 100% with you. Um, I think he snubbed all the way there. Um, I put everyone from CODA, because I couldn't think of hmm. anyone. But, like, really... I'm fine with none of the CODA people getting in. Because, um, again, ensemble cast, everyone in that film is great. I can't really pick one person that, at least supporting, I think the main actress is great. But, like, I can't think of anyone supporting that, like, does it justice. So, well, like, think, I'm fine with taking all three of my CODA people the, out. Um, um, Kotzer, I think, is most likely going to win the Oscar for it. Yeah, I, I think so, too. But, honestly... He was the worst actor of everyone in CODA. So I, I, that's like wild to me. Kind of like when, when um, Butterface won for Marriage Story, Laura Dern. I thought she was like the worst actor of everyone in, in that. And then she won it and then everyone else lost. And I was like, mind blown. Yeah, um, but, yeah. but, okay. Well, since you only have, let's keep Cooper, New, Cooper Hoffman in. Um, let's keep Woody Norman in, of course. Let's keep Troy Kotzer in. Um, and uh, now... Okay, I put this in here. Now, let's just throw it out there. What about Andrew Garfield for Spider-Man No Way Home? Um, <laughs> because I watched that movie, and that movie elevates as soon as he's in it. Like, I, I know Toby's there, too. But, like, really, when the three of them were on screen together, I was like, he's, he's out acting the other two of them here. <laughs> um, You're, he's, and I don't know. he's very charismatic in that role. Like, it's kind of like... He didn't need to bring it that hard for that movie, but he did. Exactly. Which I he, like he only got like a million dollars, so it's like he could have just phoned it in, just like you know, yeah, let me just do this for like a little bit of money and a bit of clout. But like he like really put his all into that character. And it definitely um, does show like, oh, right, Andrew Garfield's the best actor of these three. Yeah, um, and you no, know, well, I mean, slight disrespect to Tom Holland and and Tobey Maguire, but like, I mean, they're not. Yeah, actors, they're fine. You know what I mean, like. Andrew Garfield has yeah. been in, like, Scorsese film. You know what I mean? Like, he could bring yeah. it. I'm sure, I'm sure Tom um, Holland... I mean, Tom Holland's trying, but I don't, yeah. I just don't, I don't see it. I don't, I think Tom Holland's a good Spider-Man. I don't know if he's, uh, He's, like, a cute, guy. charming little um, dude, but Andrew Garfield's, like, a he, thespian. Yeah. 
So that would be my only. What's I mean, we're we're actually lacking here. I, I mean, really. Because that's only four. Yeah, I couldn't really think of. <laughs> I'd have to like go back okay. and look. Yeah. Okay. Another shooting star alteration. We're only going to have four nominations because I mean. I could put in Eugenio Derbez or Daniel Durant from CODA, but again, they were good, but they were really supporting, especially Eugenio Derbez. Um, he's really supporting in that role. Um, so let's say our four nominations... Wait. Yeah, no, four nominations are Troy Kotzer, Woody Norman, Andrew Garfield, and Cooper Hoffman. Um, I'm gonna, is it I'm another gonna... come on, come on win? <laughs> um... No, I'd be down with like one of the Coda guys. I haven't seen Coda, but Woody Norman is very cute, but he's also a the, child actor. So that's it's a tougher scale. Of of the, I don't know. If I was gonna give an award to Coda, I don't want it to be Troy Kotzer. This is the weird thing. He's like, he's fine. No, I'm not giving it to Troy. No, <laughs> I, I, I'm just like, <laughs> like again, yeah, he's fine in that role, but like always... everyone in that film out acts him in the in the screenplay. And uh, music and that. Oh, Coda is another thing that could get soundtrack. But like, um, and I don't know. And really the main actress. I think those are the, the main things for Coda. Um, it but it does Cooper. feel weird giving it to Woody Norman. We could give like, it to Cooper Hoffman. I, like <laughs> I also, I don't know about Cooper Hoffman either. Was this just a bad year in Best Supporting Actors? I feel like it's usually it's someone. Um, well, okay. What about... Jamie Dornan, Belfast. I don't have him on here because I hadn't um, watched the film at the time. I um, know. He was fine. No? <laughs> he was fine. That's how, I feel. That's how I feel about all the performances I have on here. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, that was yeah, okay. It's fine. He's not, uh, he's not really a big part of that movie. He's not. Um, I'm going to go to bat for Cooper Hoffman. I think he's very charming in that film. I think he's... I, he effectively plays like a confused like teenage boy but also a very unusual teenage boy in that he's like a weird child actor and he's like trying to do businesses but I think he pulls off especially like the things where he's kind of like a failed child actor I think he pulls off those scenes really well and like I think he carries the energy of like a hyper confident child actor really well um it's like a weird character for him to be playing but I think he pulls it off really well in the sort of all of the weird things in this kid's life that have made him into this kind of super confident teen, but also who's weird and awkward about certain things. I just think it's a fun. He's so charming, and I think it's a, I think it's a great performance. You know, I'll, I'll you know since there's no reason on arguing with something I'm not like passionate about, so let's give it to Cooper because like <laughs> why go to bat for someone I like you know. Because I was even looking through everyone on my list. It's like, yeah, there just wasn't anything spectacular. <laughs> I was like, um, there's a lot of like, yeah, that was fine. Yeah, he did all right. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I give it, because I don't think Woody Norman, like, yeah, he was good for a kid, but not like best supporting actor winner. Right. Um, like, I feel like if, the, we're, if that, the actual Oscars gave him that award, it would be like a weird, like, stain on the award type thing. Kind of like when, like, yeah, a film like Green Book or The Artist wins Best Picture, and it's just like, that's just a weird stain on the Best Picture award. Yeah, that's what I think Woody actors, Norman winning would be like. Yeah, Young Child Actor Awards are tough, because yeah. it's, it's just not quite the same as, mm -hmm. like, an adult 
or you know like an older actor um like Woody yeah. Norman is so charming and I think he's he's such a cute kid and he like effectively plays I think the kind of inquisitiveness well but also how much of that yeah. is acting versus that kid's personality and good direction he's also pretty one note yeah. I mean I mean I mean he's a kid so it makes sense to be one note mm-hmm. but I mean it's a pretty one note performance the only uh a gripe I'd have with Cooper Newman, Hoffman is that you could very much argue that he's a lead. Um, well, well, the only reason but, I put him um, in there is because I ran out of... Um, but yeah. realistically, like, if he was going to get an Oscar nom, because he's yeah. young, they might, like, the studio might have put him uh, in supporting, uh, but... Yeah, because only because, like, you put Alana as, I think, lead, and I was like, and I, well, and I ran out of kind of the story of both the, <laughs> but, like, Alana, I guess the story revolves around her family more, so I was like, that makes sense. Yeah. But yeah, either way, so we're going to even yeah. give that one to Cooper yeah, Hoffman. Supporting so for slash best actor, kind of technically lead. <laughs> yeah. Um, for best uh, lead actress, this is another one I had a bit of trouble mm-hmm. with. So you put Alana Haim, um, Renate. Who's Renate? Oh, Renata Rez... Oh, did I not put her last name? Oops. She's the woman from The Worst Person in the World. The, the, okay. Um, Swedish um, I think I forgot to put her last name. And then, yeah, and then you put Kristen Stewart. Um, for me... Uh, again, this was a tough one. So I have Amelia Jones from Coda. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the one I'd like fight for. Yeah. Rachel Zegler, West Side Story. Eh. Olivia Cook, Little Fish. Great performance, but I'm fine with that one being taken out. <laughs> and then Thomas and McKenzie, Last Night in Soho. Oh, I'm fine with that being Soho. taken out. Um, and then uh, Emily Blunt for A Quiet Place too. All the A Quiet Places always get forgotten, but she was she was good in it. But um, I'm fine with keeping all three of yours. <laughs> Keeping Amelia Jones from mine. And I don't know for my other four. Probably. Probably Rachel Zegler. I don't know. <laughs> That's a big role to try and take. But, uh, um, but I didn't watch um, The Worst Woman in the World or um, Spencer. So of your three, who's like the one that like you really think did a good job there? Um, which ones did I put? I don't even remember. <laughs> Uh, Alana Haim, the uh, the worst woman in the world person, and then Kristen Stewart. Um, maybe Renata was. Oh God, let me look up her name. The one from the worst person in the world. <laughs> I think it's um, Renata Reinsve. Reinsve. She's Norwegian. I'm not sure how to pronounce her name. Um, maybe her, because that's like um, that's a that's an interesting kind of tricky role, and I think she has to do a lot. Um, and she kind of runs the gamut in that movie from being kind of like childish and obnoxious and flirtatious and at one point she's like tripping on shrooms and then in the mm-hmm. end of the movie it's dealing with a lot of like grief and mortality and sort of uh, unsureness about like if this is the, what she wants out of her life. Um, it's a, it's a, there's a lot going on in that movie and I think she pulls it off pretty well. Yeah, I mean... That one's not, like the only one that I'd buy for is yeah Amelia Jones and Coda mm-hmm. like she has not gotten any buzz and I don't know why know, um, yeah. she's the lead of like in my opinion the best movie of this year um, but she does a really great job if, if people don't know what Coda is about it's about um, uh, an all deaf family but like uh, Amelia Jones character is hearing so like she has to kind of fight with like um, like trying to help out her family and their fishing business and like, you know, it's really hard for them being like a deaf family trying to do the uh 
the fishing business, but then also she actually wants to pursue music and like just that really tough thing of like, you know, the one thing that you're really passionate about being the one thing that your like whole family can't like, you know, enjoy with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of like, that's like a really like bare bones part of that story. But Amelia Jones just does a great job of like, like kind of conveying, um, what it's like to be a kid with like that type of expectation because it's not like because this is kind of a unique scenario in terms of like the hearing versus like deaf thing but like there's like a lot of people who kind of have that stress of like family expectation Mm -hmm. and like kind of balancing you know doing what you need to do to help your family versus like doing what you need to do to live like your own childhood and be your own person and that's really what this movie is about and she does a really good job of conveying that and she does what I give her immense credit for is she can convey emotions both ways versus like verbally while like talking to like her classmates and like things like that. But then also while signing um, and like talking to her family that way, you can kind of see the emotion both ways, which is why I think like her performance is so nuanced and I really like it a lot. Um, and then a scene at the end um, with her and this like, music hall thing is like one of I think the most emotional I got at a scene last year just like she just did it so well and it's not even meant it's not like a Oscar Beatty tearjerker type scene but it's just so like I guess gratifying in the course of like what the rest of the movie was Um, and I think she just carries that movie so well so that would be my choice um neither of us have seen the other person's movie so it's kind of hard to uh um to figure out who would be the choice here um i'm fine with amelia jones i still need to see coda but yeah that's it seems fair. like a tricky also she's I'm, I'm assuming she had also learned sign language for this role so that's pretty tough as well yeah i mean because i don't know her backstory yeah i don't know if she like yeah knew it already or like had to learn it for this but um Oh yeah, we can give her the win yeah, there, definitely. and because the worst person in the world is the uh, the one that I wanted to see is the one that I didn't get to. Um, well, that didn't drive my car, but I ended up seeing that. Oh, I forgot this whole time that I seen drive my car. <laughs> um, yeah, um, there are some people that could have got nominations, but I mean, it's it's past time now. Um, and I also don't know their names off the top of my head. But um, <laughs> but for best actor, um, no, this is a tough one. So. We have Denzel in common. Great. Um, and no other ones in common. So um, so I have Mahershala Ali, Andrew Garfield, Will Smith, and Joaquin Phoenix. Oh, I was going to put Joaquin um, as well, yeah. Yeah, and you have Dev Patel, Benedict Cumberbatch, Cody Smith-McPhee, and then Jeffrey Wright. Now, one alteration on yours, Cody Smith-McPhee is not a main guy for me. I would actually switch... Cooper Hoffman and Cody oh. Smith McPhee, um, on your because he is, in my opinion, definitely um, supporting. Um, I think I put them both in there because they're both kind of the movies about those two revolving around each other. I guess, um, but yeah, you could like, or, yeah, you could put Cody Smith McPhee in like supporting. I'd say just for like screen time, he's not like lead because I'd say Ben is more the lead and like guy on all the posters and everything um, yeah wow um so i mean so if we moved i mean this would be kind of a revision if we moved cody smith mcphee to supporting would you have him over cooper hoffman yeah 
let's do that. I mean, they'll, they'll, I mean, so we're kind of switching it up. So let's move Cody Smith McPhee to supporting actor. We're going to give him the win there. Ooh. I like Cody Smith McPhee in this role. Um, and I feel better about that than giving it to Cooper Hoffman. Um, Cody Smith McPhee is so good in that movie. And oof. yeah. We can, we'll talk about it later, but I, best, I loved Power yeah. of the Dog so much. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I feel like our best actor one is going to be gonna be tough. Um, or, I mean, sorry, best picture. Um, but for best actor, so so we both have Denzel, so he's in. Um, we have Dev Patel, Benedict Cumberbatch, Jeffrey Wright. What was Jeffrey Wright French in? French Dispatch. He played, um, oh. he was in the last vignette, and he plays the kind of... I would, I, I would also say supporting. <laughs> yeah, the um, only reason is because he's the lead... There's no real lead of that movie, and he's the lead of his yeah. vignette, his story, you know? That's why I... I would, yeah. I just, I, w- I don't think I'd ever put anyone in a Wes Anderson film as just a lead. Um, just the way that film is. Yeah, um, but he's not really supporting anyone, you know? Yeah, that's true. I, I don't know. I think it's just a screen time thing. I was like, he was in the film for, what, 15, 20 minutes? No, because he was in the first part, too, so maybe 30 minutes. Um... It's tough. Okay, this will be another revisionist, but between Cody Smith McPhee and Jeffrey Wright, if they were both supporting, um, I would still give it to Cody, yeah, probably. To Cody right. So, let's do that again. So we're going to move Jeffrey Wright to supporting again. Um, but then, okay, so now, okay, so we both have Denzel. Um, okay, you didn't put Andrew Garfield for Tick, Tick, Boom. Um, <laughs> What's, I guess, the reason, like, did you, like, was he, like, just off the list, or was he, like, not even in uh, your consideration? He was just off the list. Um, <laughs> he's fine. I just didn't, I think that character is, mm-hmm. I think, intentionally annoying, but annoying to the point where I was kind of like, well, so, okay, what are we, I didn't totally connect with the character. I and Andrew Garfield that. is very charismatic, um, and he's a great singer. It just didn't, like blow me away it's a total i just feel like if that movie was with someone else it just like it would have been terrible yeah that's <laughs> um, true he does do like, it i just think yeah he just like yeah he just carries that film on his back so it's like i think he has to be there will smith i know you haven't seen king richard but it's the same thing like i feel like he just has to be there um but then so then we're between a dev Benedict, Joaquin. Okay, so Benedict and Joaquin. Uh, I mean, I would say because I can get rid of Mahershala Ali. I'm fine with getting rid of that. Um, I would probably get a bad for Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, yeah, let's, yeah. Benedict was better. Well, I don't mean. Yeah, I'm fine with Benedict Cumberbatch getting the nod just because Joaquin Phoenix is so good though. But like. Maybe it's fatigue, like, I don't know. It's Joaquin Phoenix. Like, he has to be good. Yeah, I think um, that role, there's a little yeah. less depth there than I think with Power of the Dog. Um, there definitely, it is a complex character. Um, but for me, a lot of that movie is less about, like, his individual performance and more of his, like, his chemistry with every all of the other actors. And I think he's a very sweet, yeah. affable you know, caring uncle in that movie. But I think old Benny had more of a tough, <laughs> well, weird, layered role to kind of wrap his head around. I think, 
Yeah, I think Joaquin had good depth just in terms of I didn't really like him at the beginning of the film and I ended up liking him at the end. Same with the kid, but like um, I'm fine giving it with Benedict just a bit more do there and a bit more of a journey because I also I was just like this is just a one note Benedict Cumberbatch right. performance at the beginning and then at the end of it I was like okay. <laughs> yeah so I'm fine with Benedict getting the nom and then so it'd be Benedict Denzel um Will Smith Andrew Garfield oh wait we have enough spots so Walking Phoenix <laughs> would be fifth um but I mean okay so by our old logic, Denzel Washington would win. <laughs> I mean, I'm but fine with, you know. That I will say, I watched Tragedy of Macbeth all the way through, which I watched it. Like it was fully in Shakespearean English. It was in black and white. Like this is not the type of movie I would have watched. But I watched the whole thing, and I think most of that was because of Denzel Washington's <laughs> like charisma and what he brings to that role yeah. and just like how differently he would played it than like I think a lot of people would yeah, but definitely. it does feel weird like I, mean, I don't know like I don't know if he was I, let, yeah let's give it to Denzel I mean he's the only one that we both put um, and I think he does and we both seen all of the other movies so and I do think that he like you said I think he does such a good job and with Shakespeare, I think it really does require a very good performer to make it relatable and accessible for people and to really essentially take those words that can be very obfuscating sometimes and it takes a lot of performance to really power through those words and make them, yeah, like I said, like accessible to the audience. And I think Denzel does a great... Everyone yeah. in the movie, I think, did a really good job of that. Oh, I should have put Freddie yeah, as... A supporting actress. Damn. Oh well, that's fine. Yeah, we're yeah, we're so many misses. Yeah, we're going to Denzel. He's great. <laughs> I also didn't. I also didn't put her, and I put Caitlyn Deaver, and she was definitely better than Caitlyn <laughs> Deaver. Actually, I probably um, would have put. Now that I'm thinking about it, I would also put like Corey Hawkins in supporting actor. I thought he was really good. Or oh, for, for Beth. Mm, mm, I don't like, know. That scene, maybe he's told that his wife and children are dead. I was really. I actually almost. Almost choked up. He really, that, he really sold that moment really well. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, we'll give it to itself. Okay. Um, okay. Best director. Now, um, this one's tough because again, we have only one in common. But I don't want that person to win. So you put Jane Champion, Steven Spielberg, Denis Villeneuve, Joaquin Trier. Is he worst person yeah. in the world? Um, and then David Lowry. Is he? Uh, Green Knight. What's what do you do? Okay, Green Knight. I put Lin Manuel Miranda, mm. Cian Heder. Denis Villeneuve, Mike Mills, oh, Mike Mills, and then Benjamin Cleary. Um, I'm fine taking out Lin Manuel. Um, mm-hmm. That's fine. You can take out David Lowry. Um, um, okay. I think that's such a great vision um, for that film and very unique. So then that leaves seven. Um, weirdly enough, I'm fine taking out Sian Heder, even though they did. That's weird to. I don't know. They made the best film, but like maybe just because of name recognition, I'm I'm fine taking them out. <laughs> And you can um, take out Joaquin Trier. Um, again, I'd probably just because not many people have. Oh, so yeah, that would that would leave our five. Um, so it'd be Denis Villeneuve, Mike Mills, Benjamin Cleary, Jane Champion, and Steven Spielberg. Now, again, on the technicality of how we've been okay. doing these, Denis Villeneuve would win, but Dune is a half of a movie. So I feel weird. 
even get to Dune mm-hmm. because it's not a full movie. Um, so I I didn't love Power of the Dog nor West Side Story, but I don't know. Maybe Spielberg here is what I'm thinking. I mean, I love. I don't know. I mean, he's such. A, I mean, he's a great director. I think that movie is such a. It's such a classic film. You know, it's so well done. It's the casting is great. The writing is great because I think he co-wrote it. Or no, Tony Kushner wrote the script. But um, yeah, I think it's just such a well-handled movie. Like, there's so many beautiful shots. There's so many great performances. I think it's an interesting take on the film. Yeah, I mean, I love Spielberg. Yeah, um, of the ones, yeah. But I just, I, I, I don't know. I can't give it to Denis. Like, it was, I like Dune. I think it was good. But um, I don't know. It's the same thing with, with Crimes of Grindelwald. Two very different quality of movies deferring there. But like, um, yeah, it, was, it stopped in the middle of the movie. So if you made Dune a whole, if we watched Dune in its entirety, it's like, okay, that's great. But it stopped at the climax, so it's like it's hard for me to be like that's the film. Mike Mills, come on, come on, is great, but we've given we've given come on, come on, it's um, Though, it's dudes. I do wish you would have um, been nominated because that f- so many of his films feel so personal to him. Um, yeah, that I wish that he would have gotten a nom because I think he also wrote the film. It's a very, mm-hmm. you know, he's a, he's definitely like an auteur. Like he writes, produces, directs his own films, which yeah. is cool. Um, and then Benjamin Cleary is the swan song director. I have him over Sion Header. I like um, Toto more, but um, just the way Sion or Benjamin Cleary did the swan song um, movie, I think is, is good. Jane Champion, um, I think she makes some interesting choices as well, but we're going to give it to Steven Spielberg, yeah. like, like he needs more clout. I, know. Um, I mean, he's, he's so the, great for a reason. You know what I mean? Like, his films are just so tight and so well done, and like. Yeah. Yeah, he's just such a classic filmmaker. He's great. Yeah. Um, okay, so now Best Picture, last one. So, um, so you, how many did you put here? Three, four, five, six, seven, eight. You put nine. I put eight. Okay. Um, we both have Come On, Come On, so that's going to be in there. Um, we both have Dune. Um, everything else is different. <laughs> so, um, Okay, so I have Coda, Swan Song, Tick Tick Boom, um, King Richard, Spider Man No Way Home, um, and Tragedy of Macbeth as well. Mm-hmm. You have Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Worst Person in the World, Licorice Pizza, The Card Counter, Parallel Mothers, and Flea. So, based off of what we've talked about here, it's like just how we've talked about these movies, I would want to keep on Coda, Swan Song, and King Richard from mine. Mm-hmm. And then from yours, I would say Worst Person in the World, West Side Story, and Power of the Dog are three that should definitely stay. Um, but do you, I don't know, I do, do you like I have do, a big case for like Licorice Pizza or Card Counter, Parallel Mothers or Flea? I actually do kind of want to keep Flea in there just because I think it's such a, such a triumph of, or such a, it's such a unique film. Um, and I think it's, there's nothing like it. So I think it's, a, I would want to keep the nomination, but, uh, yeah, card counter, actually, I don't know. Yeah. Card counter and licorice pizza, we can drop. Um, I just wanted to put the card counter in there cause not many people have seen it. And I think it's a very, again, it's a tough movie, but it's, 
it's a very explicit indictment of like the Iraq war, which is interesting to see. Yeah. Um, yeah, you can drop it from like the noms or whatever. So I think that's actually 10. So our official nominations would be Coda, Swan Song, King Richard, um, Come On, Come On, uh, Dune, The Power of the Dog, West Side Story, Worst Person in the World, and Flea. Um, oh, we actually have one more. Um, I would like to put back on well, Tragedy of Macbeth, yeah, probably. I'd like to keep on Tick, Tick, Boom, but I, 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 yeah, let's keep on Tragedy of Macbeth that's as well. Um, but, okay, so this one's going to be tough. So, like, of yours, what's your favorite? What was your favorite film of 2020? Uh, probably uh, Power of the Dog. It's just the one that I, I couldn't stop thinking about. Like, <laughs> I... I just kept wanting to discuss it more and more with people who saw it and like chewing on it and like dissecting it and picking up like little lines in the movie and what that could mean for the characters and like what what it means in ter- like I just think it's such an interesting unique movie and there's so much you can chew on and it's such an interesting look at repression and sexuality and gender roles and masculinity through the lens of the Old West, which I think is fascinating, and just mm-hmm. that relationship between Peter and... Oh, who's... The Benedict Cumberbatch character, I don't remember his name. Um, but their relationship is yeah, fascinating. Um, I just I couldn't stop thinking about it, and I kept wanting to talk about it with everyone, because I wanted to just discuss it and dissect it even more. Yeah. Um, Power of the Dog, that's um, interesting. I just, like, I don't know if I could put that as the winner just... I don't know. Just because of my viewing experience and not enjoying the movie while watching it, um, it's hard for me to be like, oh yeah, that was the best though. Mm -hmm. Um, Also, I don't know. Again, when I made my list, I had not watched Drive My Car and I had not watched Belfast. So this entire time I've been discarding those two films, even though I have seen them. Um, I'd maybe almost put Belfast over Tragedy of Macbeth, but I'm fine with either of those, to be honest. But in terms of the winner, I mean, my... My obvious would be Coda. Um, it's just, it's the closest, I don't know, to a feel-good movie that winning the Oscars. Um, I feel like that just doesn't happen. Um, like, the Oscars just, like, has to be, Great. yeah, like, super emotional and sad and, Green like, all one. of that, or super dark. Oh, that's true. I forgot about <laughs> Green Book. Um, yeah, I literally just, I just erased that from my mind. I think this was um, <laughs> And but, the King's, uh, King's Speech, that's like a feel-good movie, too. Yeah, in ways. Um, and those are the two that people dislike the most. <laughs> and I've heard Coda being compared to both of those. But, like, I just think there's just something about a movie that's just kind of, like, has a good message and is, like, wholesome and, like, is, like, I don't know, like, brings out an emotion in you that's not just, like, um, despair or desperation um, and it's like this movie will actually like give you an intense feeling of gratification at the end but then it also does have that great acting and it does have all of those elements as well and the only thing I'd say going against Coda is it's not spectacular on a cinematography level or any technical level at all um, it's just a really good story great story driven movie um, same with Swan Song I love that film as well again 
really great on the story level. I think Swan Song's pretty good on the visual level, but it's not like groundbreaking or anything. And that's what Power of the Dog has over it. But I don't know. Based off of everything we've been talking about this whole time, I think the winner has to be Come On, Come On, doesn't it? <laughs> by, de- by default, maybe. <laughs> Which it feels weird. I mean, Come On, Come On was definitely very good. And this will be what its third or fourth award that we've given it. But of, of everything, I don't feel bad about giving it the award. No. I really don't at all. Um, so let's yeah, do sure. it. Uh, come On, Come On is our Best Picture winner. <laughs> um, and for a full list of our winners, for Best Animated Film, we gave it to Flea. Um, best Song, we skipped. Uh, best Score, we gave to West Side Story. Um, best Cinematography, we gave to... Uh, Tragedy of Macbeth, I think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, Tragedy of Macbeth. Um, best Screenplay, we gave to... Come on, come on. Um, best Supporting Actress, we gave to Gabby Hoffman from Come On, Come On. Best Supporting Actor, we retroactively gave to Cody Smith-McPhee from um, Power of the Dog. Best Actress, we gave to Amelia Jones from CODA. Best Actor, we gave to Denzel Washington from Tragedy of Macbeth. Best Director, we gave to Steven Spielberg for West Side Story. And then Best Picture, we gave to Come On, Come On again. So... That is our second um, ever shooting Star Awards. Um, I, I feel like we did we did pretty good. Um, there are probably some things we forgot. Um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I wish I wish I wish I had remembered. I should have redid the thing after I saw Drive My Car in Belfast because I feel like I didn't talk about them much. Two very good films. Mm-hmm. They could have been all all in these. Um, but um, but yeah, I think I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah, um, it gets one more person to yeah, see. Come on, come on. Then our job is done. <laughs> that's true like if, yeah if there's anything the shooting star award it gets it's to watch the one movie the oscars forgot about definitely i'm gonna recognize um, my parents i think that's a great obviously it's a great parent movie yeah and i think that's a great yeah. movie oh, yeah. it's accessible like it's not hard to watch but i think it's also complex and deals with interesting tough you know tough aspects to family dynamics like him and his sister right they're kind of they had a falling out because of the illness and like the health decline of a parent and that's so relatable for so many people but it's so messy and how i love when the kid's like why don't why don't you ever talk to like why don't you ever talk to my mom anymore and it's like that's such a loaded question but yeah. it does also make i think joaquin phoenix be like why why don't i and it's tough and, and complicated but it's such a great movie and that and Coda, I think, have something in common that where it's like you have to deal with like yeah emotional stuff going on when the movie is happening, but it makes the ending so much more gratifying when you get to like you know like yeah what happens at the mm-hmm. end um, that it just like provides for like a better like filming experience um, to where yeah you don't like uh, yeah Power of the Dog like is what it is but like you like yeah kind of go out of that and you're just like oh. <laughs> and then you just like kind of like leave and i was like sometimes that's good but sometimes it's like i don't like to leave the theater or the whatever i'm doing with that type of feeling and um and coda and uh and uh, come on come on are definitely good for that and that's why it's two of my favorite movies but um that is it for the shooting star awards we um next up let's get to some games 
And now for a uh, new game on the Movie People podcast. It's called the uh, Google Cast Game. And mm -hmm. so how this is going to work is I'm going to pull up a movie. These are um, movies that are top 100 most grossing, uh, highest grossing movies of all time. And I'm going to say that movie from the 10th uh, actor that comes up when you type in cast all the way to the first. And I'm going to see how long it takes you um, to figure out what movie it is. And um, I'll give you clues on three, six, and nine, or after the third, sixth, and ninth actor. Okay? Okay. You said you're going to name the cast, and I have to guess what the film is? Yep. Gotcha. Okay. 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 So your first actor is Mary Gibbs. Mary Gibbs. Um, and these are the top grossing films of all time? Yeah. The, the list that I got these off of, yeah, the top 100 highest grossing movies of all time. And these are um, not adjusted for inflation? Uh, not adjusted, no. Adjusted. Okay. Okay. So the first actor is Mary Gibbs. Um, second actor is Pete Doctor. Oh, Pete Doctor. Is that um? Is it Inside Out? It is Inside Out. Got it on too. Um, uh, I don't know. It doesn't even have an actor's name. Um, after it. Um. Okay. So our second one. Let me pull up my list. Hold on. Here we go. Um, okay. So our first actor is two, three. Audra McDonald. Audra McDonald. Okay, Broadway, Broadway <laughs> state legend. Okay. Um, the second actor is Kevin Klein. Kevin Klein. Okay. This must be a recent Kevin Klein. Okay. Third actor is Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor? Ewan, yeah, whatever. Ewan. Yeah, Ewan McGregor. Ewan McGregor movie with Kevin Klein and Audrey McDonald. <coughs> then, since it's the first one, your third hint is that this movie came out in 2017. 17 with yeah. Ian McGregor? <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait. Oh, God. It's Beauty and the Beast, isn't it? It is Beauty and the oh, Beast. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Next one. Um, where is my list? Okay. This movie, the first actor is. Sorry about that. My Google's going a little bit slow. First mm -hmm. actor is. Aiden Gillen. Aiden Gillen, okay. I think he's that Irish actor from Game of Thrones. He is. Um, okay. The second one is John Deacon. John Deacon is the basis for Queen, so is it Bohemian Rhapsody? <laughs> it is. Okay. <laughs> These are easier than I thought they'd have been. Ah, um, uh, see, you should, th well, Honestly, you should throw some older films at me, but they probably, if it's not adjusted for inflation, they probably won't be in the yeah. top 100. I was going to do adjusted for inflation at first, but I was like, this would be too hard. Um, especially when uh, I thought like Ryan and Chase were going to be on there. I was like, there's no way they're going to get these 60s movies. You underestimate me, <laughs> sir. <laughs> um, okay, this next one, this one might take a little bit longer. Uh, first okay. actor is Danny Glover. Okay, Danny Glover. Okay. Um, second one is Morgan Turner. Turner. Hmm. Okay. Uh, the third one is Nick Jonas. Nick Jonas. Okay. 
Um, and your um, can you first... tell me if these are can you tell me if these are voice voice roles or nope. <laughs> okay? Uh, those three. Well, I'll give you this clue. The movie came out in 2019. Okay, did you all Okay, fourth actor is Alex Wolf. Okay, this has to be an animated voice because Nick Jonas, I don't think, would be in a film in live action. Um, um, your next actor is Danny DeVito. I feel like this is probably an animated movie, but I don't know what any kids' movies are. Uh, next one is Madison Eisman. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> um, I'll give you the genre now. The genre is adventure comedy. Oh, wait, it's Jumanji 2, isn't it? <laughs> it is Jumanji 2. Jumanji 2, <laughs> okay. I thought that uh, would throw you. <laughs> it's on the top 100? Oh, okay. Yeah, I was surprised too. It was like, I think it was like 90 or something, but I was like, I did not remember that movie making any money. Um, no. Okay, this next one, um, see how long this one takes you. John Noble. John, oh, um, it's one of the Lord of the Rings. Okay, go for it. Miranda Otto. Oh, okay, it's one of the Lord of the Rings. It's probably, it's two or three. Um, Liv Tyler. Again, that could be either, well, it's probably Return of the King, right? It is Return of the King. Okay. You can probably like, get that by the fact that it's in the top 100. <laughs> yeah, I was like, it, that one probably grossed more because it was the final one. Okay. Yeah. Um, John Noble, King, or no, sorry, uh, Denethor, Steward of Gondor. I knew you would know it off of, like, the first <laughs> one. So, um, okay, this next one, Mark Maron. Okay, is it, is it Rocket Man? No. Oh, no um, he's, not, he's not in Rocket Man, never mind. I don't think so. He might be in O-Rap. I'm not sure. Yeah, um, what's the difference? <laughs> Bill Camp. Bill Camp? I don't know who that is. That name sounds familiar. Um, he might be British. Um, Brian Tyree Henry. Oh, okay. Um, and the movie came out in 2019. Is it that Predator movie? No. No, okay. Predator movie is definitely not top 100. Um, well, Jumanji 2 was. You might be surprised. Oh, yeah, yeah um, true. You never know. Brian Tyree. Uh, He's been, uh, I was going to say Widows, but certainly not Widows. Um, certainly not. I don't know. I, uh, I don't know many Brian Tyree Henry movies. We can keep going. What about Glenn Flesher? <laughs> I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, <laughs> Brett Cullen. No. What is this movie? Okay. Um, Shay Wingham. Wingham. Oh, Shay Wingham. Okay, I like him. He's a cool character actor. But he's been in a lot of TV, so I don't know what movies. That's not Widows? It's not Widows. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, your next clue like is that it's a crime drama. <laughs> it's not Widows? Okay. <laughs> no. um, um, next actor is Francis Conroy. I think sounds familiar, but... Um... Okay, you might get it on this one. Next okay. actor is Zazie Beetz. Oh, um, is it Joker? It is Joker. Um, oh, I haven't seen Joker, so I don't know any of those people were in oh, it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 
the other the next two hey, were Robert De Niro and Joaquin Phoenix. Um, oh, so. there we get it. <laughs> yeah. I didn't know Shea Wiggum was in Joker. He's wonderful in um, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I didn't know the uh, the cast for Joker was this like unknown. Um, well, a like, lot of just like probably New York character actors, which yeah. like makes sense. Um, okay, this next one, the tenth actor is Palm Clementoff. Oh, well, it's one of the Guardians. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, next one's Bradley oh, that, Cooper. Uh, it's the second one, then, right? Because she's only in the second one. Nope. So, oh, it's it, the first one. It's the first yeah. one. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah, she's oh, in both. Um, she, oh, okay. Also, fun thing about Google, not always correct. So you know. Um, you should also <laughs> IMDb. IMDb probably has better stats. True. Um, Google is. I don't know. I kind of like the uncertainty about it. Um, that Google could just be wrong and then you could just like just be on a bad path. Um, okay, next, I think third to last movie. Um, the tenth here is, or so your first actor was Lucas Haas. Lucas Haas, okay. Um, next one is Pussy Posse. Dilip Rao. I don't know that one. Um, next one is Michael Caine. Okay. Is it a Nolan movie? Can't say that, but I can say this movie came out in 2010. Is it Inception? It is Inception. Okay. Uh-huh. I think, <laughs> yeah, the Michael, Michael Caine, Caine one gave it away. Yeah, Michael Caine yeah. 2010. Especially high grossing. Um, I didn't know Lucas Haas was in Inception. That's cool. Oh, yeah, I don't even know Witness. his character. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, okay, second to last one, Julie Walters. Okay, it's probably a Harry Potter movie. Next one's Alan Rickman. Okay, well, is it Deathly Hallows Part 2? No. Okay. Um, one of those. This one might be too hard because, yeah, it's one of the Harry Potters, but pretty much the it's rest of the actors are in all, yeah. all of the rest of the actors are in all of them. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Richard Harris. So, that's a oh, bit Richard, of a clue. Oh, Richard Harris. Okay, it's one of the first two. Is um, it Sorcerer's Stone? No. Is it Chamber it's of Secrets? Other, yeah, it's Chamber okay, of Secrets. There we go. <laughs> yeah, Richard Harris. <laughs> the only, I didn't know he died in the third one. I thought it was later on. No, um, yeah, <laughs> uh, they, they recast him in Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Um, and then the last Dumbledore. one. <laughs> um, I can't tell because the, the Dumbledore acting kind of fell off a little bit. Um, but, <laughs> uh, okay, last one Maggie Gyllenhaal. Is it The Dark Knight? Yep. <laughs> I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gave the clue about it being the top 100 grossing movies, because then you could just easily go, wait, Maggie Gyllenhaal is in no other high-grossing movie. <laughs> She's Especially this one, um, because, yeah, she died in this movie, so you know that she's not in either of the other two. <laughs> and she got recast. She's not in the first one, because she got recast from Katie Holmes. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, a good recasting. But, yeah, you did really well in that one. Um, <laughs> Next time, we got to do some, it. like, old ones. Yeah. Like, just for inflation, like, Ten Commandments, like, Ann Baxter, Vincent Price. Yeah. Well, if I knew <laughs> if, it, if, if it was, if I knew it was going to be just you, I would have made it much harder. But I was like, <laughs> okay, if it's going to be Rachel versus, like, yeah, like, Chase or Rodrigo or, like, Ryan or one of these, I was like, let me make it something relatively newer. Um, <laughs> so, like, they'll get it. Um, but last thing's movie spotlight. Uh, do you have one for this week? Uh, returning segment from the old version of the podcast. Is the movie or TV show that you've watched that you want people to hear Ooh, about? Movie spotlight. Um, I watched. Oh, I watched After Yang a couple like last week, 
It's a new A24 movie by from Koganada, who's the director behind Columbus from a couple years ago. Um, very vibey and introspective uh, and quiet, so be in the mindset for that. But it's like a really beautiful kind of soft sci-fi movie about death and mortality and memory and what it means to be human. Basically, like this um, this family a lot of interesting lore that you can sort of get into in this film but basically this family has an adopted Chinese daughter and they it's in the future and they buy this robot to kind of be her brother babysitter and to sort of teach her about her Chinese heritage and then he kind of breaks down and he stops working so Colin Farrell who's the dad of the film has to go on this kind of journey to figure out what went wrong and also he slowly discovers more about Yang who's this robot and it's just like a beautiful little like movie about um, memory and death and like childhood and um, yeah, it's just like a really beautiful little film. What's it called again? Oh, it's called After Yang because Yang is the robot who breaks uh, down or dies. Yeah. And what's it on? Um, I think it's uh, on Showtime. It might be available to rent as well, because it's an A24 film, but unfortunately they dumped it to Showtime. They didn't really give it a theatrical release. Or they did, but it was very limited. Um, Well, yeah, Showtime's the worst, because yeah, no one has Showtime, and they're not going to buy it because of the the streaming services thing. Um, But yeah, it definitely sounds interesting. And Um, Haley Richardson's in a small role. Oh, I love Haley Richardson. It's a great Um, cast. Yeah. It's a vibey, sweet film. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, Haley Richardson was on, um, on track to be like, like, Anya Olivia type person, but then I watched Columbus and I didn't like it as much as other people, and I just stopped watching her <laughs> films. Um, but I still think she's very talented. Um, my movie spotlight for this week is not actually a movie or a TV show; it's a platform, and it's Apple TV Plus. Um, the last uh, show that I ever did with Movie People podcast was about the streaming service breakdown, and I remember talking about how Apple TV Plus was going to be like kind of like niche and like like a complimentary type service, but like. Now that having like all the streaming services and basically having them for a year now, Apple TV Plus is pretty much the only one that I use on a regular basis. It's really cool because it's like basically small enough right now to be curated content. And like there's only one to two shows or like yeah, three to four shows going on at a time. And like pretty much all of them have been good. Like right now I'm watching pretty much every single Apple TV Plus show going on. And they've all been good. And I think this entire season, all of my movie spotlights will be just different shows from Apple TV+. Um, Coda is on Apple TV+. Swan Song's on Apple TV+. Those are my two favorite films of last year. Um, and then, of course, you know, Ted Lasso and, and all of that type of stuff as well. So big recommendation for just getting the service of Apple TV+. And then just kind of picking some TV shows and going from there. Um, and they come out weekly, too, which, again... I'm anti-binge. I don't know if I said that off-air or on-air. but um, um, And so those come out weekly, so it never really feels like such a time constraint like Netflix does. And there's just, like, yeah, a small enough amount of content to where I don't have to, like, take hours trying to pick what I'm going to watch just because it's like there are five things and they all look kind of good, so I'm just going to pick that one um, and watch that. So Apple TV Plus is my recommendation for this week. And that is it for the Movie People podcast. 
or at least for this episode. If you've enjoyed it, uh, please uh, leave a subscribe or, or leave a subscribe. Please subscribe and give us a review. Um, one of my goals this season is to hit 3,000 plays. I really think we can get there, and I'll be really grateful if we can because that's something I didn't really think was possible when we started this a few years ago. <laughs> um, and then, but we will be back next week with um, live reactions of the Oscars. Uh, there's a possibility I could, we might be live on TikTok. Um, I have <laughs> to see if that's going to work. Um, but um, that is it for this week. Rachel, it was your birthday yesterday. And you do get the option to um, end the episode with a song. So you pick the song for the end of that, uh, for the end of this episode, and it'll play right after this. So go Ooh, for pick it. the song. Yeah. Ooh, oh, God. Okay. Um, I'm going to pick. Let me look at my Spotify. Oh, you know what I'm going to pick? I'm going to pick the song Welcome to Family of Four. It's the opening song from After Yang, and it's the most high-energy part in the whole movie. But basically, for context, the opening credits are in the future. It's like all these families, I guess, do sort of like a, D, like a DDR dance competition, and it's like a weekly thing. And this super cool techno song plays and you see all of the cast of the film doing this choreography this like intense choreography and that song is called welcome to family of four and it's a killer pop that's my wreck <laughs> and so that'll be playing in, in just a few seconds we'll see you next week goodbye Bye. <laughs> slight change in plans um here at the end of this episode um i just realized in order to submit a song as a part of your episode you can only release the episode in Spotify. And um, I don't want to, I know there's listeners who listen in all different types of platforms. So I don't want to dilute it just to Spotify. So we cannot play Family of Four at the end of this, but um, you should look it up because it is quite wacky. And I do not know how Rachel even thought of that song as the first thing. But um, we'll see you next week. <laughs>